The By the Hood podcast is sponsored by the Discover Your Options Bootcamp. Getting started with trading options may seem intimidating, but with Discover Your Options, you'll be up to speed faster than you could have ever imagined. No matter what your ultimate goal is, learn the basic skills and gain all the confidence needed to ultimately win in the exciting world of options. For more information, click the link under Discover Your Options in our show notes. And for 20% off, make sure to use the code BUYTHEHOOD, one word, for the 20% discount. The Buy the Hood podcast is brought to you by the book, Own Your Time and Space, written by Corey Camp and Jimmy the Blueprint Williams. All throughout history, you will see time and space as having significant importance, but never discussed as it will be in this book. You can learn the true importance of time and space and how having a better understanding of these concepts can lead to a better life. It deals with ownership of not only your time, but the space around you. You can get your copy at ownyourtimeandspace.com or you can go right to Amazon and look up Own Your Time and Space. What's up, people? Welcome to this episode of the By the Hood podcast slash webcast because I don't know how you're consuming this content. I'm your host as always. My name is Jimmy. Um, and as we start off every show, we want to start it off with gratitude. Um, thank you to everyone who supports us, all of our new students at By the Hood University, those that have been buying merch, even in a pandemic, those that support the podcast. Um, special thanks. A lot of you know I recently lost my mother. And what was interesting to me is I had people reach out to me who said, look, I don't know you, but I listen to your podcast or watch you on YouTube and just want to send some love your way. And that was like amazing to me. That just goes to show the kind of community that we're building here because, again, we are community-based. We appreciate the support in terms of our products and services, but that just helps us keep it going because everything that we do is about the community. Um, and my brother is over here with Corey. What's going on, good brother? I'm on chill, man. You know, I like I, the same thing you saying, man. Like our community is is crazy. Like you know, the people that we we come into contact with every day. Yeah, the love is crazy, man. So I, I always want to start every podcast off with like you know, um, sending that love back because we definitely appreciate it. Um, we build a nice community. We have a lot of amazing students in the Bodyhood University, and just to let you know, we do have multiple courses: uh, Intro to the Stock Market, the uh, uh, the Analysis of the Stock Market. And we've partnered with Discover Your Options to teach our brothers and sisters how to trade options in the market. And we have um, some real estate courses coming up as well. The first one being real estate valuation and analysis. Um, and it's not just about the course. We've actually created an ongoing classroom where we share content uh, in terms of books to read, um, different videos we come across, even movies, which we'll talk a little about in this, in this, in this episode where we're going to be discussing movies yeah, and how it relates to trades trading. And trading strategies. Yeah. And so, we show our own yeah. trades and our own trading strategy to our students. Like, so we don't go out there to like, so again, our thing isn't about, you know, bragging on our returns and things like that, but with our students, we'll actually show the trades that Corey and I are making on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and we'll, you know, expose that. So although you pay the one-time fee, you get ongoing support um, as you go along your journey to becoming a better investor. But with that being said, this podcast is to highlight brothers and sisters who are doing amazing work in the community. Our guest on this episode is someone who's actually uh, been on before. This brother is a business owner, a mathematician, a professor, an intellectual. Um, and without further ado, I want to uh, welcome our brother, Akil on. Akil, how are you, sir? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm glad to be on here again. But I'm glad to, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of places you go, 
but then you know you may not want to come back but you know, <laughs> it's like a physical space or like a, a online space but this is a space i wanted to come back to absolutely man and i always enjoy having conversations with you um on, on this platform and even off the platform uh because you're one of the brothers that gets me to think um you know, uh, brothers like yourself and uh, Carlton Jones. I love speaking to you guys because you you'll bring a different perspective to something that I wasn't even thinking of. And um, you know, uh, you know, sometimes you talk to people online and they're know it all, so they, you could you could you could say something to them and they don't. But I'm not that kind of way. I love learning new information, right. so I always enjoy our conversations, man. But before we get into what we want to talk about, though, how are you holding up with this pandemic? Again, you know, I mentioned that you are a professor, you are a business owner, you actually our mathematician who owns uh, all the, all this math, who um, you help right. the community uh, learn math. How, how are things going for you uh, during this pandemic? I think that, I mean, things haven't really been bad for me. I think this, actually this pandemic has uh, been a motivator. And, you know, since with things going to more of an online platform, or a lot of things going to online platforms, it's kind of forced me to really um, start creating the content. Cause I, I, I was doing, I've been doing a lot of procrastinating like over mm -hmm. the last two years. Um, I've been doing a lot of private math tutoring um, in person. And then I, I kind of started gradually doing some like, um, you know, Zoom tutoring and Google Hangout tutoring and even FaceTime tutoring just mm -hmm. because I would get referrals with people that like lived in Maryland or, you know, lived in, lived far away. And it just wasn't feasible to like take the trips to meet up with them at their house or at a library or something. Um, but I also was, uh, had a plan to like create a YouTube page which I'm still in the process of creating. So there will be like stored content that people gotcha. will be able to access. And then, you know, and then I'm, I'm still in the process of figuring out how to monetize that, you know? Um, so, so, so basically kind of, these are things you were thinking about before, but now because of this, you're forced to take action, right? Yeah. It's like, I would be too much of a, I guess if I didn't take action, I just, I would just be too much of an asshole, you know? So I couldn't, <laughs> like, I couldn't yeah. like not take action like now, because now it's like, okay, what's your excuse? You know? That's interesting because I've had meetings during this pandemic that, you know, you're forced to use uh, Microsoft Teams or Zoom or something like that. And after the meeting, I sit back and say, I could have always been using this. Like right. <laughs> I had to drive like, you know, an hour away to meet up with you. We could have always used Zoom. So that's, that's interesting that you say that, right? Yeah. So yeah. um, even though at this, but at the same, I mean, everything is, is balanced. I mean, at the same time, like, you know, you, there's no substitute for that, that human interaction that, you know, that, that interpersonal interaction. Um, there are still a lot of things that, you know, that there's a lot of things that we could be doing um, on using, using online um, platforms. Absolutely. Online Absolutely. But it also allows you to, to touch and reach more people. Like you said, now yeah. you can have students um, pretty much anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's the good with the bad, man. You know, um, the internet and social media is always the good with the bad. Um, but yeah, so what's interesting is this, um, during this pandemic, I saw a post you made about watching the movie Wall Street, right? So we talked earlier about the fact that, you know, we have, now have this platform of Body Hill University. And one of the things we're going to start doing, and it's, it's funny that this comes up, we just sent out a list of some movies. And I think it was like four or five movies on there, uh, Wall Street, one and two. Uh, trading places, uh, the oh, big classic, short, classic yeah, the, trading places. big short, and it was another one. But all of them um, have references to uh, the stock market, trading, Wall Street. Um, and what's interesting about all of those movies, Boiler Room, Boiler Room, um, yeah. But it was another one. It's one called Arbitrage. It's an S one. That's oh, an okay. underrated one. It's yeah. Richard Gere. But anyway, um, so all those we, we we share with our students, and the plan is in the future to kind of like break down and, and, and show the parts that you could actually learn from the movie. So there's this right. drama and things that really have nothing to do with what we're teaching, 
But you had brought up a conversation about the movie Wall Street that um that we found interesting. We said we should have this conversation on our platform because, you know, um, and it was your idea, but it was it's 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 actually interesting your take on and I, you talking off before we got on here. You said now you have a whole other take on it. So, you know, it's it's a it's a complex movie, but you've taken a lot from the movie Wall Street. And then within the space of investing in finance, it's considered a classic movie. So, um, and and you are the professor, so I know that it's <laughs> it's, it's not just as simple as uh, that. So, what do you take away when you see the the movie Wall Street? What's your a couple takeaways from that movie? So, well, first I would say like it's it's one of my favorite movies, and it has been one of my favorite movies for a long time. But I will say that over time and through my own personal development, the reason for it being one of my favorite movies has definitely changed drastically. So, you know, I was you know when I was younger, you know, I grew up listening to hip hop, commercial rap music, and you know, I wanted I wanted to be rich, you know, that that whole thing. Um, I wanted to live like the rappers without you know without selling without having to have sold drugs or, or you know done certain things that a lot of them talked about. So I went to college and majored in finance. Um, I had changed my major a couple of times and I ended up as a finance major because I figured I always liked money and I was, I was good at mathematics and I looked at finance as the science of money. So I was like, okay, I can study, study money. Um, and then I learned about, you know, like, you know, I did an internship on, on Wall Street at one point. I was working for um, a specialist firm um, one summer, the summer of the year 2000 after my sophomore year, the firm was uh, Spear Leeds and Kellogg which later was bought out by Goldman Sachs. Um, you know, you know, it was an equity, they did equity trading, the options trading. Um, I spent some time on the, um, uh, the American Stock Exchange, dealing with the commodities. I spent some time on, uh, 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 no, so the I, movie, on the, so the, on the, movie res- the movie resonated with you back then for a whole different reason. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was like, you know, I'm trying to emulate, I'm trying to emulate these white people, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be, <laughs> you know, uh, be Gordon Gecko, you know what I mean? Um, and I'm trying to like assimilate into this system as like, you know, like Gordon Gecko and blackface. Like, I didn't know that's what I was thinking, but that's what I was thinking. You know, I was, that was inside. Um, years later, I'm looking at the movie now and I'm like, kind of like how they referenced Sun Tzu in the movie, Art of War, one of his rules is you have to study your enemy. So, you know, if we're talking about like independent nation building and Pan-Africanism, um, Capitalism is a system that's utilized by our oppressors. It's utilized, you know, I think it's been taken to its highest level um, by the Europeans. And this is the system that we're within. I have many critiques of it, but at the same time, it is the system that we're within. So I believe we have to understand it in order to procure food, clothing, and shelter. Absolutely. And at the same time, once, I think any group, if they're able to secure enough resources, then once you secure the resources, then you can actually decide whatever type of system you want. Because it's really all about how we're going to allocate resources. Um, who, who's going who's to control the, the distribution? Who's going to control the production? Um, is it going to be like Kwame Ture talked all the time, like his, his simple breakdown of the contrast between capitalism and socialism is either everybody's going to have a say-so in how we do this, or it's just, or, or just going to be a few people that's going to have a say-so and then tell everybody else what to do. It's interesting you say that real fast because you talk about when you accumulate enough resources – then you can determine how you, I mean, people do that within our system right now. When they accumulate, <laughs> accumulate enough resources, you know, they live however they want to live because they have those resources, right? So that's happening now. Exactly. Yeah, like, that, that's an important distinction, though, is about the accumulation of resources uh, rather than, you said accumulation of resources rather than getting money, mm-hmm. right? So that's an important distinction in what we're talking about. Even though money is the currency, and, you know, or, you know, however, but the accumulation of resources, period, 
is an important factor and something that we need to, you know, discuss. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Especially when we talk about resources, like what, what are the resources? Like, cause uh, you know, one of the things, you know, Malcolm X talked about in his, his battle of the bullet speech, which I was reminded of from one of these, one of these lines in a movie, actually, um, actually one of Leo Manheim's, the old head, the old, the white old head from the, from the firm that mm-hmm. worked with Bud Fox work. Um, you know, he talked about land, like, and he was talking about revolution and like, you know, land is the basis for everything. So, cause when you, when you secure land, then, you know, you can grow crops and then you grow on crops and say you grow on cotton. If you have cotton, you can make clothes. If you have land, you can grow trees. If you grow on trees, you have wood. From the woods, you build houses and, you know, all these other things, but it's all grounded in, it's all grounded on like on land. Absolutely. Right? The, um, Elijah Muhammad talks about that in the message to the black man. Like it's, it's a whole piece about everything comes down to land. Right. Um, you know, and it's just what you said. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, so what I was, what I was saying before we, before we got on was, um, looking at this movie and kind of thinking about like how, you know, I would like participate in the conversation. I kind of look, I kind of started thinking back um, to uh, a book that I read from back in my network marketing days, back in like 2001, um, when I was involved with prepaid legal services, you know, I was trying to get rich that way. And I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki that was highly recommended by a lot of people. And I still actually recommend it to a lot of people too. Um, This has got some, got some important information within it. But I thought about Bud Fox as like a person that had, he didn't have two dads though. He didn't have a rich dad and a poor dad. He had actually three dads within this movie. He had his biological father, um, working class dad. Um, you know what I mean? A air, a airport, air, yeah. uh, air, air, uh, airplane uh, mechanic, mm-hmm. um, airline, airline company mechanic. He was a blue collar, blue collar union worker. Yep. Blue collar. And that also, like, it made me think about um, just America and how the melting pot theory, which is kind of sold to us, but was never meant to apply to us. Like even the, even the political scientists that have written books on it and extrapolated on it. Uh, I think the, it was a, a French guy named um, Crevasseur. Crevasseur back in like 1782, he talked, he's credited with being the one to come up with this idea, this melting pot theory, but it was really, it was for the Europeans. And it, it, it speaks to like how they created whiteness. So it's like, okay, you know, in America, you're not going to be a German no more. You're not going to be Irish no more. You're not going to be British no more. You're not going to be a Dutch no more. You, we going to be, we need to be white. So we got this melting pot thing going on. It was never, we were never meant as black people and um, descendants of Africa. We were never meant to be a part of that, but they kind of sell us on this idea so that we'll want to just like assimilate into this with them and not be, not be independent. Um, but but what what they represent what I thought about too was like how you got Bud Fox's pop was the blue collar worker the mechanic but then Bud he works hard you know saves money helps him helps him go to NYU Bud Fox is from Queens ends up going to NYU um, gets his degree he's you know goes and becomes a stockbroker and uh, you know and that's and that shows like how they a lot of times they do this advancement economically within from inter, intergenerationally. Yes. Um, because it's set up like that. Now, some, some, of, some of us experience that as well. Absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah. it's, it's almost like it's more, it's more of a given, you know, in many, in many cases with them. And the movie, the movie highlights, highlights that, definitely. Um, then you have Lou Manheim, the elder that worked in the firm. Uh, Jackson and Steinem. Jackson and Steinem, that firm. You have him in the mix, you know, just giving, like, sage advice, like, all the time and kind of trying to, like, check Bud and, like, let him know, like, like, no, nah, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, no, you should think about this. And even at the end, like the, the quote he gave at the end, 
when Bubba's about to get locked up uh, for insider trading, um, I'm still thinking about that quote because I really don't fully understand. I can't really fully speak intelligently about it. The one about man, a man looks into the abyss and he sees nothing, nothing well, nothing's looking back at him. But then when he sees into the, when he thinks about, he, he discovers his character when he looks into the, looks into the abyss. And then when he has character that prevents him from going into the abyss. Like I, I have a general idea of like what he was saying, but I, I still need to process that more. And then yeah. of course you have the star of the movie, Gordon Gekko, who kind of, he's kind of framed like the devil, basically. Like, you know, if you believe in, 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 in that, um, you know, the devil, uh, even the scene when they're in the country club, not the country club, but the sports club, and, you know, he's about to leave, leave out the gym. And then, you know, he's like, man, I got plenty of brokers, man. I don't need you. And then, you know, how they, you know, Oliver Stone does the thing with the, with the black in the background and then everything turns to, turns to black. And he's like, all right, you know, you want, you want to mm -hmm. work for me? All right, come on. So it kind of, it kind of, you know, not to jump all over the place, but it kind of reminds yeah. me of <laughs> that might've been where they got the idea for the devil's advocate with Pacino, like much later. You know, yeah, that's, what he, that's what he told him. Let me show you. He said, let me show you my charts. Right. <laughs> he puts him in a limousine with him. All right. So a couple of things you said that are interesting to me real fast. Um, you talked about watching this movie um, years ago and watching it now and how you take different things from that. And one of the things I want to like, talk to the audience about is that's a key with any sort of content. Um, I'm currently reading a book um, called A Creature from the Jekyll Island. It's probably my third or fourth time reading this book. But reading it now in the middle of going through this pandemic and, and watching money just being printed out of nowhere, this book hits completely different than from the first time I read it. The second time I read it. So every time I read this book, it's one of my favorites, it's become one of my favorite books um, because it seems like every time I read this book, I take something different from it. Um, same with like the autobiography of Malcolm X. I'm going to read that as a kid and thinking one thing and then reading it as an adult. Uh, there's certain books like that that every time I read it, I take something different. Um, Miseducation of the Negro. Every time I read it, I take something different from it. Um, the same thing can be applied to film. So I remember watching Wall Street years ago and, you know, feeling the same way that you felt. I didn't even, it took me maybe um, a couple years ago to actually realize the importance of the old head at the firm. Mm -hmm. Like, I never really paid him any mind when I watched it originally. You know what I mean? So I always, I always saw the duality between his father and the Gordon Gecko character. But I never realized the importance of this, the old head with the sage advice, because he's basically telling him to slow down. Like, yeah, he know, was his leash. He was like, yeah. yo, you got you to pull back. Yeah. Like, you're going to get manhandled. Like, you're you powerful, but it's, it's, it's more powerful stuff out here than you. You can get bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, in, and in a weird way, what you talk about how another thing I took from the film personally is like when you watch someone, all right, so it's one thing. Uh, people always say you, the next generation should, should do better than the previous generation, right? You talk about that, that upward mobility mm -hmm. and how that affects us. Um, but the one thing that always bothers me is, right? So even in my family, um, you know, my mother went to college, but she didn't graduate college. I graduated college. I was like the first one in, in that line to graduate college, right? But I still have had a relationship with the, my elders. I still held my elders in high regard. I have people that went to college with me to graduate college. And when they go back, they kind of like thumb their nose at the generation that if it wasn't for them, they wouldn't even have went to college. You know what I mean? Yeah. People make sacrifices to put you in a certain spot. So um, I, I saw that like, you know, um, in, within this film. So you, like you said, he's a blue collar uh, guy. He works at the airport. He works for the, he's a union rep and helps his son to achieve this. And it's not that his son actually looked down on him, but he wanted to be like this other guy. 
Right. He wanted to be like this other guy who had all sorts of evil and he knew it, you know, he knew it. Uh, so it's, it's, he thumbed his nose at his father in a whole different way. Which reminded me, so that aspect actually reminded, I know I mentioned, um, I mentioned uh, uh, Devil's Advocate as, a, you know, it connected to another movie for me, but it reminded me of another movie, that dynamic between the father wanting kind of embrace, trying to embrace a different father figure. It reminded me of uh, Bronx Tale and Sonny. Absolutely. You know, Same thing. Yeah. Always like, you know, like, Sonny, like uh, uh, Sonny was right. Working man is a sucker. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, yo, your father's putting food on the Hold up. Like, he never worked a hard day in his life. Like, you know what I'm saying? I get up every day and go to work every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and that, that's interesting within our community because I, I have these conversations because that bothers me to no end. Like, you know, because the people put, the, put you in a position to kind of take it to the next level. And you, right. should never, you should never forget that, right? But when you start to study the character of Gecko and you listen to him, you kind of feel like, uh, you know, he was, he was kind of like pooped on his whole life. Right. He comes. Yeah. He didn't come from privilege. Exactly. So he's actually a sad character when you really think about it, because he's just lashing out because of the way he's been treated and even treated. If you remember the part uh, when um, when he wanted to buy uh, Anacott Steel. Right. You know, Blue Horseshoe loves Anacott Steel. Everybody remembers right. that line. But when he went and bought all the equity in Anacott Steel and uh, Sir, Sir Larry came to visit him. Right. He still was treating him like that little city college kid. Yeah. He's he was like, like, are, you, are you eight times oh. old? Yeah, I could break you eight times over. Yeah, so, so he's kind of like a sad character when you think about it that way, because he, the whole movie, he's actually lashing out about how he's been treated. Yeah, and even, even the scene, like, when he was in the limo, so Bud, Bud had that perspective on his own father, but Gecko had the, had the perspective on his father, too. He was like, yeah. work hard. My dad worked hard, dropped dead at the age of 49, yeah. you know, from a heart attack, you know, and, and, and debts, you know. Yeah, like, let me with a bunch of IRS debt, yep. Right. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be like that. You know, um, but I think, uh, but yeah, so it's a, it's a couple lines speaking of that, like that he gets into that I actually, actually wrote down. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at him. Um, like the time when they're in the gym and in the sauna and he's like, I bought my way, I bought my, I bought my way in and all these Ivy league, Ivy league schmucks are sucking my kneecaps. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. it, so it also reminds me that, that, that class, that class war, that kind of white on white violence, mm -hmm. you know, that, that inter, inter class war. You know, and it reminded me, so another book I'm reading now is, uh, I've been kind of slow rolling this one, but I've been reading The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. Okay. I heard about it over the years and like, it's actually, it's actually pretty deep. Like he gets into like the, uh, the, the, the meat industry in Chicago and okay. just like how just basically horrible it was, the conditions and everything. But you got like, you know, the people that own that, uh, the meat industry or control the meat industry, you got rich white people that controlled it, but then working within Mostly, I mean, they had, I think they had some black people, but mostly it was, it was a bunch of poor white people, poor working class white, class white people. A lot of them was immigrants. The, the main characters in the book, they were Lithuanian. They came over there to America from Lithuania um, because they had heard stories about how, you know, America was the land of milk and honey and everything's, you know, great over there. Then they get over there, they living in just abject poverty, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And all, all this type of stuff. So it kind of like reminded me of that, that class war. Um, and then right after that line, he talks about the Bronx Zoo. Now, the Bronx Zoo was interesting, too, because I think in all these movies, especially, like, you know, if I'm talking to children about them, I want us to always approach things from, like, an African-centered perspective with the African worldview yeah. and think about, like, how, like, these, these institutions that are mentioned or these, these spaces that are uh, referenced, like, how does it affect the experience of Black people? And he was talking about the Bronx Zoo, and recently 
I'm teaching um, in night school, I'm teaching a class on medical apartheid by Harriet Washington. And one of the early chapters in there, she talks about Oda Benga and how Oda Benga was the, like the, the young, well, the, the uh, pygmy brother from Congo back in the late 1800s. He was basically kidnapped and brought to United, the United States and he was put on display in the Bronx Zoo. Um, so the Bronx Zoo, so I never knew that about the Bronx Zoo. So I never knew that the Bronx Zoo was actually <laughs> displaying um, our people. I, knew I was I was today years old when I found that out. <laughs> I just found yeah. out when you just said it, man. And you can you can reference it. So check uh, Harriet Washington, her book Medical Apartheid. She talks about this. She has like a it's like one of the early chapters, maybe chapter two or chapter three. Yeah, she like gets the it. Black Zoo got a crazy history of doing all kinds of, of reckless stuff to 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 black people. You know. Yeah. They, I'm not familiar with that history. Putting, putting black people on display as animals and all kinds of crazy mm -hmm. stuff. Like the Bronx Zoo kind of reckless. And I never yeah, knew that. So I was, I was thought of the Bronx Zoo was yeah. just like, oh, this is elite, elite zoo. You know, they have, you know, get animals from all over the world, even though like from, so here's another thing, even though from like from studying, I think probably, probably studying, you know, shout out to, to the MOVE organization and all, all the, especially the, the sisters and the brothers and the young people that got murdered, you know, 35 years ago, but from studying them years back, um, I learned, I thought, I started thinking about zoos differently. Like, so I look at zoos as animal jails. And I mean, it's they cool to like, you know, much my, my children might go to the zoo, but at a minimum, they'll know. I'm like, bro, this is a sis, this is an animal jail. Like them, them animals don't want to be there. Like they're on display so that yeah. we can walk around and look at them. You know what so, I mean? So zoos are supposed to be for preservation of species. And then they just turned it into something totally different. They turned it into a money-making adventure. Right. And then we gotta wonder, like, well, well, why why does that species need to be preserved? What's wrong with their natural habitat? Like, what what are the, what are the people <laughs> here's the doing? question: Who are we preserving them from? Yeah, <laughs> the same yeah that's that put them in zoos. <laughs> oh, that's the whole point. Yeah, though. that's that's yeah, the whole point. Preserve. They unnecessary. If we if we would stop wrecking the planet, they would be unnecessary. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I knew nothing about the history of the Bronx Zoo. I mean, all I know is the Brooklyn Zoo because of ODB, but I didn't know about the Bronx Zoo. But and that was um, so this this was back in 1906. This was back in 1906. They had Oda Benga on display there for like a year. He was like he was a um an exhibit. He was a major exhibit there in 1906. But Gecko says, you know, it cost me a million bucks. So he bought a seat on the board of the Bronx Zoo, cost him a million dollars. And but but this the quote. The quotable, this is the, one of the major, his major quotables was, he says, he says, the buddy says, that's the thing about wasps. They love animals. They hate people. And then, you know, we see, we see, so we see that a lot, even on like social media, like a lot, some of the commentary where it's like, oh, like, you know, these, um, these white people, you know, are so, they want to support Peter, but, you know, black people are getting shot every day by cops. And it's like, you know, the, the, the energy is not there. Not that I expect mm -hmm. it to be there, you know, and I don't, yeah. I don't really, I'm not concerned with it not being there really. I'm not at that space right now. Um, but just, he puts it out there. So that's why one of the things I was saying was, is that like this movie, I think like many Hollywood movies really kind of exposes and like, lets it be known, like, yo, this is, this is what we're dealing with. Like, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, like Jay-Z said, like they, they, you was who you was before you got here. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? So, if we look, we look at that, and it's like we we pay attention to certain parts and certain aspects, and we'll be able to say like, damn, like yeah, they did. They, and this movie came out in '87, and then mm -hmm. they probably were talking about that. It's, it's, it's the old adage: if you listen long enough, people tell you who they are. Yeah, yeah. it is so many lessons in this movie. Like so, recently watching it, um, I picked up on a line where the um, the old head at the firm was telling him about, you know, slow down. You know, you could do good for people. He was like, the money that we make here goes for science you know to build things to help people 
And Bud's like, well, I'm going to get all this fast. Like, I'm going to get a bunch of money, and then I could do good. And he's like, you know, you do good along the way. And, you know, it reminded me of that Jay-Z line, like, um, how can I help the poor if I'm one of them, right? So this whole idea of I need to accumulate as many resources as possible and then work back, right. not thinking about who I harm in a way of collecting those resources, right? So you go to collect all these resources, but you actually put more people in harm's way as opposed to doing things the right way. Um, and then, like, so is it, I was thinking about that Jay-Z line, too. And, like, you know, I know a lot of people bring that line up as kind of like a justification for certain things. But I think it's, it's got to, it has a lot to do with the end game because like a lot of people say, okay, well, I, I want to get rich. So then, you know, I can give back. But even that concept of giving back, giving back, then, then we get into the conversation about philanthropy capitalism and mm -hmm. what that looks like. And is yeah. that really meant to actually change the condition of the people that you're giving back to? You know, are we, are we teaching them? That question is no. Because they, <laughs> they become dependent, they become just dependent on us, and it's like, yeah, I have a, I got a hundred million dollars now, so I can get, I can throw a couple dollars at you, and then you'll think I'm this benevolent, you know, person like this God, but I'm not, I'm not fundamental, I'm not trying to do a real redistribution of wealth, I'm not trying to have any, any massive change to the overall system, mm -hmm. I just, I still want to be rich, but I'm gonna throw a couple dollars at you. But if we if we overhaul and, and overhaul, yeah, if you don't fundamentally change something about the way thing, the way things are, then then that 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 philanthropy is basically getting it's like drug dealing. It's like crack. It's like you I've created a dependent. You just created right. a dependent. You know what so I mean? you, like you 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 are. Uh, are you saying it's like um you know selling poison to your people and then giving back turkeys once a year? Nino Brown. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's the Nino Brown, John. You know, I'm gonna sell you crack 364, and on, on the 365th day, I'm gonna give you turkeys and, and dinner. Like, yeah. and, and the reason, you know, and, and I ain't one to talk because I done done it all. But the, the the thing about it is, I understand from a different perspective how philanthropy is for the most part trash because it doesn't change the condition of the people that it's supposed to change like it'll help individual people but systemically charity is trash well that's why like to me donations like and and, and i don't want to say this to come off the wrong way i like when people put boots on the ground and help other people right to me that shows something because to me your time is even more valuable than your dollar yep. right because i could not care about anything you got going on and just write you a check and just keep it moving right right um but like, it's funny because the point he made in the movie is you do things the right way and you, you help these people along the way. And he's like, no, you skip all that. He's, he's missing the point of while you're accumulating all these resources, you're just harming more people. You're creating more people that you have to help when you get to that point where you have the hundred million dollars. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're, you're creating more people that there is to help. So I thought that was an interesting line within the film as well, because this film again and rewatching it, uh, you know where I am now. Um, reinforces what you said. It is one of the better films made because there's so many lessons within here, not just within finance but within life in general. Yeah. In this movie, right? So you give us some of your takeaways in terms of how it relates to society, culture, and all that. What are some other quotables that you heard in this movie that um, you know m made you think on a deeper level about what you were watching? Okay, so yeah, definitely. Um, so back to back to the old head, uh, Leo Man. Well, Lou Lou Manheim. Um, the old, when he's first introduced to us, and he, he comes in, he walks by, he walks by Bud, and um, 
the other guy, John McGinley. I forgot his character's name, but John McGinley that uh, played on Scrubs and all that. Yeah. Um, he said a couple things. And that's the thing about the old head. He just like, he said a lot of random stuff, but it seemed random, but it was all relevant. Like he said, too much cheap money floating around the world. Worst mistake was letting Nixon off the gold standard. Then he started talking about Putney drug. He said, you know, and then the guy, his friend, John McGinley's character, he says, you know, uh, he, he kind of pushes back on it. Like, you know, why would I, why would I we want to buy that? And he was like, stick, he's like, stick to the fundamentals. That's how IBM and Hilton were built. Good things sometimes take time. So a couple of things that, again, from looking at this from an African-centered approach, a couple of things he mentioned Richard Nixon. So when I think of Richard Nixon, I think about um, him pushing black capitalism and the way in which he pushed black capitalism um, in, the, in the 1970s as president. At black capitalism as a response to the black power movement to say prop up a couple black, people black power is black capitalism mm -hmm. so basically saying we shouldn't try to strive for like some type of independent nationhood we shouldn't try to strive for like true ownership of our own we should just try to get money under their system and under their control so that was like the push so that reminded me of that um so that was like a that was like a, a trigger for me with that when when nixon, nixon was mentioned um and then also, again, Malcolm X ballad or the bullet speech when, and actually, I just, I just want to, I want to read the, the specific portion of the ballad or the bullet speech that this reminds Absolutely. Me. When he said, when Malcolm said, and this is from 1964, ballad or the bullet, delivered in Detroit. He said, but the political and economic philosophy of black nationalism, the economic philosophy of black nationalism shows our people the importance of setting up these little stores and developing them and expanding them into larger operations. Woolworth didn't start out big like they are today. They started out with a dime store and expanded and expanded and expanded until today they are all over the country and all over the world and they're getting some of everybody's money. Now this is, now this is what you and I, General Motors, the same way. It didn't start out like this. It started out just a little rat race type operation and it expanded and it expanded until today it's where it is right now. And you and I have to make a start and the best place to start is right in the community where we live. So his comments on about Putney drug and like sticking to the fundamentals and that's how IBM and Hilton were built. And he's saying this in, he's saying this in 1987. Well, it's supposed to be set in the movie set in 1985. He's saying this in 1985, but Malcolm X was already talking about this, the same concept. And a lot of our other ancestors were talking about the same concept, sticking to the fundamentals, starting small and it being okay to start small and then build from there. And actually if I could, I could even, I just thought of this just now as I was reading this, the concept of just starting small and building from there. I think that's a, that's a loving critique that I would make of our brother Umar Johnson. I mm -hmm. think that he tried to start too big with the $2 million boarding school. Cause I, I, I don't want to get, I don't know what his intentions were. I want to get into, you know, the, the, the finances and all that. No, but I got what you're saying. I do think that there's something to be said for proof of concept. I do think that his intentions were, were good and <clears> wanted <throat> to build an educational institution for black people. But I think that he probably should have started small. But anyway, and a, a lot of us, I think that's a, that's a major takeaway for a lot of us. Stick to fundamentals, start small, and build it. Man, I have a lot of thoughts about that, what you just said, right? So I didn't realize until this moment, as you're reading back the ballad of the bullet, and you said it, you quoted it a couple of times since we've been talking, Elijah Muhammad also talks about that in a message to a black man about starting small and, and building uh, your business out big, right? Mm -hmm. I never realized how much of... Um, Elijah's words were in that Ballad of the Bullet speech until like just now. It just hit me because I went back and reread that this year. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so now that just hit me there. But also, uh, the thing about starting small in IBM's history. So there's a great podcast. It's called Business Wars. And what Business Wars does is it goes over um, different companies' origins that are competitors, and it gives the history of how they started. So uh, I recently listened to an episode about IBM and how they started. So when you look at IBM or Microsoft now, we see the big, uh, you know, the big giant corporation. Right. But he's right in that assessment. They started off small and they built and they built and they built. And I think that goes to the whole theme of this movie where he's consistently telling Bud, even within that comment, just to slow down. He's like, because right. well, what the guy says to him before then is, it's going to take a couple years for that to show any profit. Why do I want to deal, deal with that now? And that's when he starts giving the example of IBM, whatever. He's telling him, look, this thing will work. You just have to have patience. And a lot of times we don't have patience. I mean, and, you know, uh, especially a lot of our people don't have patience because <laughs> we don't have the head start that uh, someone else has. So um, instant gratification, you need instant gratification when you've never had anything. Like yeah. if you never had nothing, the first time you can get something, you're going to grab it. You don't, yeah. you don't, you don't have that, that, that ability to wait because yeah. you've been waiting your whole life. You feel like I need to get it now because I've been waiting for it my whole life. So that's another thing not having resources does to people. It makes you make mistakes because you don't have that ability to wait because you got to take everything that comes to you because you need every resource you can get on hand. But that also goes to how things are marketed to you, right? So um, one of the interesting things that Brother Kill said when he came on is like listening to rap music and, and that aspirational rap music, right? And first of all, most of them lying anyway. Um, I, I've, I've literally met people that rap about having money and who are, who are broke. But um, outside of that, if you don't know that, you don't know that. Um, yeah. and, and you hear that and you think that you have to have it right away. But when you actually study the wealthy people, I think I read recently that um, most millionaires don't become so into like, uh, I think it's like the late 50s, early 60s, the average millionaire, right? Nobody thinks like that because that's not how um, opulence and, 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 and wealth is presented to us, right? It's not presented to us that way. If you, take, if you take Warren Buffett, who most people know within the space of investment, and you look at his net worth through the years, it didn't really start to climb up to the point where he was you know, mentioned in that Forbes until he got into his 60s, right? right. So they'll put the, the Zuckerbergs and the young guys in there, but those are outliers in the grand scheme of things. So this idea of patience and discipline is missing a lot of times. And that's not just in terms of finances, but even in community building and doing things like you said. So if you want to start a school, start small, have proof of concept. Right. So if you start a school and you have, you know, 10, 15 kids, but you have proof of concept, you're more than likely going to get more donations and trying to start out with a whole campus. Right. You know what I mean? You start out with a whole campus is one thing. But if I, if, I, if I see already that you've established something and I can see the results of that, you know, so even when you talk about a company, a company just doesn't go public out of nowhere. Right. Right. So there's a couple lessons in, in within which we're talking about. So when you talk about a company going public, they have to have proof of concept. You know, Facebook started in the dorm room, but it had to get a certain number of users before it can grow and scale the way that it did. So another lesson from this is even when you talk about institutions, whether you're talking about uh, colleges, the Ivy Leagues, whether you're talking about um, companies, Microsoft, Dell, any of the big companies you want to talk about, any of the big institutions you want to talk about, they were all built by people and not a person, right? Right. Which goes into the idea of, um, you know, poweronomics. 
how you, how you have to work as a unit, or even the ballot or the bullet where you start talking about voting blocks as opposed to just I, 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 and things becoming we, we, we. So that's a, a whole shift in mindset. Um, but also there's nothing, there's no large scale institution that was built by one person. You gotta stick to the fundamentals and you gotta build. And even that like delayed gratification, I, I was thinking about this also when I was like the other night, I was, you know, I was watching, um, I was watching Jerry Seinfeld's uh, new standup special on Netflix, right? And during the, during the special, he mentioned that he's 65 years old. And I was like, damn, he's, I didn't know he was that old. But then it made me, th- I started thinking mathematically like, okay, so he ain't really, I mean, he didn't get big until, you know, he had, he, they had the show, Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. Then I was like, if he's 65 now, Seinfeld went off in like 97. And I was like, you know, I went off the air like around 96, 97, when I was, you know, about to graduate high school. So that's 23 years ago. So he was 42 when that happened. So I means basically throughout his mid to late thirties, he didn't really pop off until, cause he wasn't like doing movies before that. Yeah. He just kind of, he was doing stand up comedy and then got a shot. And then he had this show and the show got more popular and more popular and more popular as time went on. But that wasn't until his forties. Yeah. So then it just makes me look, mm-hmm. it makes me look back. Cause you, you know, you, you would think, especially the way social media is and the way like, you know, the entertainment industry is in general, you would think that it's like, oh, you know, these guys were getting money at, you know, the age of 18 and, you know, in their early 20s and then even in mid-20s. Mid and then I would even probably, it probably makes sense to, to understand that, you know, even a lot of the young guys, young people that are in the limelight in their 20s, a lot of them aren't really eating like that. Not the way, not the way they would, they kind of present, like you kind of mentioned earlier. They may start eating later, once they, you know, start investing in things and start creating opportunities for to have ownership of mm-hmm. things. But once they're just, in a, lot, in a lot of cases, they're just employees. You know, yeah. even though they might go on tour, they might, you know, star in this film or, um, you know, this or that or, or whatever. Um, but it just it just made me think. Like, and I think we do have to, uh, like, talk more about the young people, about, you know, in terms of um, instilling in them the idea of delayed gratification and it might be just as simple, or at least one of the things we can do is just give them examples of people that, well, really, he ain't even really blow. He ain't really start, like, if money is what you want, okay, cool. But this guy, they didn't really start getting money until they were, like, 45. Yeah. Or they didn't really start getting money until they were, like, you know, 50 or whatever. Um, so kind of to push back on this idea that, well, I'm 18 now, and by the time I'm 21, I need a million dollars. Yeah, and, and shout out and shout out to uh, my brother Rel, who has a brand called Quality Over Quantity, right? That makes me think of that, Quality Over Quantity. Because it seems like, um, especially in the social media age, you'll get people that pop up and they're thrown away right away. Like, they're just thrown away. So they don't get that chance to build up. So let's take the music business, for example, right? One of the things I recognize going through this pandemic and watching these versus battles, right, mm-hmm. is that there are people who have never been like the biggest star. They haven't reached like pop levels, uh, you know, stardom, but they built catalogs up over time where right now, where you, you can't buy into all the hype that, that's sold to you. Like people are enjoying the quality as opposed to the quantity, because now it seems like they're just, you know, somebody's hot today and they're going tomorrow and they put somebody else in that place. Um, all these different Lil's and young, they just bring a new young or a new Lil in. Like right. give them a couple of hits and then throw them away, right? You can't really build anything sustainable with that. Um, and you watch these people, you know, like a Babyface or Teddy Riley, who who just like over the time. Like one of the things that was interesting is some of that stuff was like you know, 
especially babyface from the 70s on to like the 2010s, like over a long period of time, like just building quality. But that goes, but that goes to the same thing we're talking about Wall Street. I know, like, how the hell did you make that parallel? But no, think about it. He's talking about doing the IBMs, the Hiltons, right? Where it may have taken a long period of time to get there, but once you get there, you've had so much quality. Right, you've built up quantity through quality. So you built like quality, but you do it on a slow paces. And when you talk about investing, um, we always talk to our students about think about the long term. Sometimes you may start investing right now. We may have a student that starts investing right now, and what they don't recognize is what they're doing is not even for them. It's for their kids. Right. Right. They yeah, may think never... outside your lifespan. You, yeah. You you gotta, could... like, when you, Go when you're investing, it's not about your lifespan. It, 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 you can you can make money for you, and it can be good right now. But really, your investing is so that your kids and their kids and generations on down um, can start from a place where they can do exactly what they want instead of what they have to do, right? Yeah. And so you could change the, the lineage and the trajectory of thousands and hundreds and thousands of people by just changing the traje- trajectory of your family. Yeah. And, and so... And, 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 in that Wall Street movie, you know, when they when you know when they talk about all you know, when you're talking about the old head and all the stage advice he's giving, it's because he wanted his his success to be long lived. He didn't want him to burn out. He didn't want him to be like a shooting star. He wanted him to be he wanted him to have the same kind of longevity as those IBMs and those Hiltons. Exactly. He didn't want them, yeah, he didn't want him to have that flash in the pan kind of I made two hundred million dollars in five years. And then you never hear from me again. Kind of success, like, like the Mike, the 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 difference between Mike Tyson and, and Floyd Mayweather. Well, I Floyd mean, Mayweather, it's like Floyd Mayweather had success over a twenty-year span, and Mike was hot for like five years. Well, you know yeah, what I mean? I guess in uh in in you know to quote, to quote Jay Z again, uh the flash now, but Tom reveal money, right? So yep. <laughs> so it's like, um, and that's interesting that you brought that up, right? Um, because that is kind of what he was telling him. Like, and you can, and what you talked about a kill was like somehow relating this to the, to the kids, the kids know music. Right. So right. they know of an artist who was this hot in 2017 or 16 that we don't even know who or where they are. You know right. what I mean? And there's so many of them. I could think of like, like I haven't heard a designer song in years and no, no shots of disrespect to him, but you know what I'm saying? Like what happened? He had a number one hit. What happened to him? They mm-hmm. recycled him out and brought somebody else in. Right. And it's not about actually helping these kids grow and, and having that long term, that long term success where, you know, years from now, you know, um, he'll have a catalog of things that people want to hear. Yeah, that remind but, me of the, of the Royce freestyle when he talk about how, you know, what I mean, uh, you know, what's the use of owning your masters if, if the, the music is trash? Yeah, that, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. He he did say that. That's a great point. Like everybody talk about owner, but if you own a bunch of trash, it don't matter if it's trash. That's it. Yeah, like if if, if, you, if, you, if you if you yeah, if you building something, nobody gonna listen to twenty years from now. What's the use to owning the masters? So, <laughs> it's the same concept. Yeah, but and again, it, it's funny because watching that film, keeping it keep tying it back to the film, watching that film long ago, I never understood the importance of old head until now. Now now when I watch, it, I'm like. He was giving him the game the whole way through from the first time he's, uh, you know, introduced until the last time you see him. And right. it's like, and it's also something to be said about saying a whole lot without, without saying a whole lot. Right. And the thing is too, um, one, one of the, I think one of their justifications, Bud and McGinley's character 
their justifications for kind of like dismissing him said that like, you know, he had lost, he had lost a lot of his money back in 71 in the recession. So it was like, so they kind of was looking at like, oh, he just some, like kind of like how young boys might do today. Like, oh, you just some broke old head. Like, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? You just out here, you know what I mean? Just you, 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 you be on your porch or whatever. Like you just work a little regular job. Well, I'm gonna listen to you. Like, you know, the, the, the drug dealers with the fat, flashy cars, I want to listen to them, you know, but the old heads like, listen, like he's kind of trying to tell him like, kind of like, it was also like, kind of like I've been there. So I know, I know how this movie ends. So I'm trying to put you on because, you know, I've already experienced it. You know what I'm saying? Um, I want to jump to, uh, to Gecko. And Real quick, before you jump to Gecko, because it's, it's, it's a gem in that too. Akil, you be dropping so many gems, man. I can't let this stuff go by. Because it's interesting because I've heard so many people say online and off, like, you know, um, if you're not where I want to be, how can I learn from you? And I think that's the dumbest thing in the world. Right. Like I've, I've, I've learned from like people in, in no disrespect who are drug addicts. Like you can learn from anyone. Right. Even right. even if you're learning what not to do. One of the reasons I, I got right. into finance and all that is from people telling me like this, this, this is what you need to study, you know, because I wish I would have done this when I was your age. You know what I mean? And, and there's people that may not have had things that I wanted to have, but I listen. And, and a lot of times when you listen and then you start to watch and you see things play out the way they say. Um, you recognize that you can get a lot of sage advice pretty much from, you never know where the sage advice will come from. So that idea of, you know, even people that have aspirational goals, I want to have a hundred million. So I'm only going to listen to someone who has a hundred million. That's ridiculous. Right. That's ridiculous. I just want to let that, that chance to like, you know, um, expound on that point because, um, you know, uh, the, the, the cliche, you can learn a lot from a dummy. That's absolutely true. But it's not necessarily calling you a dummy, but you can learn a lot from anyone. You can absolutely learn a lot from anyone because some people have experience and um, that's the best teacher. So if you're wise, you learn from not just your own experience, but other people's experience. But, but uh, talking about Gecko, what is your assessment of um, Gordon Gecko? Gecko, Gecko to me just embodies America and American capitalism. And just, you know, and he, he says it, he, you know, he breaks it down. Um, and one of the things, so one of the, he, he says so many things again American cap not just American capitalism but just American society and just this whole idea of just like just just Eurocentric conquest colonialism um, even if you think about like tell dog paper like I mean he, he himself he was a corporate raider like that's the that's the technical term for these guys like you know you take finance courses in, in the textbook <laughs> that that yeah. term is in there like he was a corporate raider like that was his job was to one of the things he did he specialized in was it was looking at companies that were were vulnerable and were right to be taken over. And even at the end, even toward the end, when he found out about the Blue Star deal, that you know, without telling Bud, he kind of he kind of snaked Bud, but you know, he told he put Bud on in the beginning. He said, listen, you want a friend, get a dog. Like kind of <laughs> letting us know, like, we're not friends. This is trench warfare. You know, we're well, not cool. I might, I might fuck with you, but we're not friends. Yeah. You know what I'm saying at the end of the day, like I'm I'm, I'm we're doing business, you know? Um, and he like, he kind of, he just, he just like, let's, let's, let's know all of that. And one of the things I was going to say was, uh, he also exposes the fact that a lot of this accumulation of resources that they're able to achieve and this, you know, accumulation of money, it comes from, it basically, it comes from cheating. Like they're not, they're not playing fair. Like, you know, he's basically he hires Bud, basically like, Bud, go out there and illegally get information and bring it back to me so that I can make deals based on that information that the rest of the public will not be privy to. 
And and that's why, like, and that also exposes how, like, in a, within America, we live in a, um, a knowledge-based economy, right? And so, like, while, while capitalism, we have to understand that even even as we participate in it, we have to understand that it's, it's rigged and it's it's not it's not a fair system. Because anytime you have a system that's based on that knowledge, based on that information, and Gutko says, which I agree with wholeheartedly, the most valuable commodity there is is information. Absolutely. And he's and getting then, he's getting and, like that, and, and get information by hook or by crook. Any kind of way you can get it, just get the information. I, I, I wrote that in our book. Yeah. In our book. Like, the, the, the most important commodity is information is the new oil. Like, yeah, it's data. Data. To, to, to bring it into today's terms, it's data. Data is oil. Right. Yeah, it's data. Data is the new oil. Like, if you, the biggest companies in the world are no longer oil companies. They're data companies. Right. So, like, Facebook is a data company. Google is a data company. Microsoft grabs your data. Like, anything that grabs data is going to become a multi-billion dollar enterprise and on, know, a related note, on, on, a, on a related note to what you're saying you're talking about how things are in, in today especially even more even recently with this uh COVID-19 pandemic and the schools being closed I was reading an article today that I, I shared on Facebook um from the Jacobin they were talking about how like a lot of students are utilizing um Google Classroom and I mean p- students have already been using Google Classroom but now a lot more are using Google Classroom and really, the main purpose of that is for Google to like to take their data, so they can then in turn turn around and sell products or or do other do whatever they want with the data. Because right? the new the new so, thing is the new thing is ecosystem, right? If I get you within my ecosystem, you're not going to leave, right? Right. I, I can I can go to someone who's a who, who's been using the iPhone for ten years, and I can show them this new phone, and I can say this phone does everything your iPhone does, but does a thousand other things. It'll be difficult for them to make that transition because they've grew up with this iPhone that has all their data. Um, they've been within this ecosystem. So it works with their MacBook. It works with their iPad. Apple has them trapped in the ecosystem. Right. When they went out and gave a bunch of iPads to students and Google went out and gave a bunch of Chromebooks away, some will say it's charity. Some will say, no, no. you're getting them stuck within your ecosystem. No. They're going to grow up. They're going to grow up brandwashed, right? Another great book by Martin Lindstrom called Brandwashed, where you're going to grow up brandwashed um, within these certain ecosystems, and it'll be very, very difficult to get out. If you, if you're a kid and you grew up in Apple's ecosystem from the time you're, you're you're very young until you're an adult, all of your data, all of your information is there. It'll be very difficult to like, you know, even even me, right? So the thing about being brainwashed is, even if you know it exists, it still happens to all of us, right? I'll see something online and then I'll go see if Amazon has it. And Amazon might even charge a dollar or two more and I'll buy it off Amazon because I have, I'm a prime member. Like, right. so it, work, it works on me too without even like recognizing I'm doing that. Like I'm gonna see if Amazon got this because I've built this relationship with them and it's almost psychological. You get home and you see that little black stripe on a box and it's like a sense of euphoria. Like uh, it's like, it's, so even me, I'm brainwashed and I, and I know I am. Um, and that point, so, that point you make about nothing being free, I remember like being young, growing up in Baltimore and, you know, hearing about, hearing stories about, <clears throat> you know, or, or witnessing the drug dealers, you know, talking testers out, you know, testers, testers, you know, throwing the testers out. Yep. Yep. And then I was like, wait, so they giving away, first I'm like, wait, so they giving away drugs for free? Are they losing money? And then, then, then somebody, I think somebody else probably put me onto this idea. Like, no, nah, like you get the testers out, then you, they get a taste of it, they get familiar with it, and then mm-hmm. they're going to come back to you and spend money with you. Exactly. It's all it's all strategic, mm-hmm. and it's, it's nothing like in business. It's almost really nothing. Nothing is nothing is free, per se. 
you know? Yeah, like Facebook. People, we go on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, whatever our favorite platform is every day. And a lot of people don't recognize you are the product, mm-hmm. right? Like, well, this is free. I'm able to connect with my family. So there's good parts of social media. You can even connect with your family and, yeah. and, and, and people and all sorts of things like that. But you are the product. Like they're, they're scraping. I mean, I joke about this, but Google probably knows me better than my wife. Like, it, it, like honestly, yeah, just being honest with you. But, but, the thing, but, but, but we talk about being the product. We've been the product our whole existence on this continent as far as I mean, uh, you, with, you want to talk about our, it. <laughs> with our, with our, with our, with, you know, with our white counterparts, with our Euro counterparts, we have been the product forever. So this ain't nothing new for us. Mm-hmm. Like, this is new for everybody else, but it ain't new for us. So, so we've point. always been the product. See, but in those days, we recognize, like, well, we come to recognize we were the product. Now, we're the product without even recognizing it, right? It, it's like, you know, things are happening to us now without us recognizing that are, ha- that are happening to us. Yeah, we think we're real free. But, Corey, you brought up the fact that, like, that quote <laughs> that, uh, that quote that Gecko made, you put, in, you put in the book. So it's another quote he made that uh, made me think of your, your other book, um, the other book that y'all wrote. I don't know whether Corey, you wrote it or y'all wrote, co-wrote it. I'm not, I'm not sure. But, I mean, it speaks to the concept that y'all do both speak on about time. On your and time and space, so yeah. It's about, the, it's about the limo ride, the limo ride when he, when he finally decides and, you know, kind of uh, Bud is having this moral dilemma about, you know, and he, he, said, he, he shows his, his naivete. And, you know, uh, he tells him about his real estate deal. He's like, see that building right there? I bought it uh, 10 years Brown and sold it, made an eight hundred thousand dollar profit. You know, um, I uh, it was more money. I thought at the time, I thought that was more, more, more than all the money in the world. Now it's a day's pay. You know what I'm <laughs> and and he says, you know, so it's like you know they're butt fighting, and then they continue talking, and then you know he's telling, basically telling them like, yo, I need you to get out there and like you know steal information. You know what I'm saying for me? Like that's how that's how we do this. That's how this this thing works. And Bud says to him, well, what about hard work? You know, and so he <laughs> what and about said, it? He said, what about it? You work hard? He said, I bet you stayed up all night last night studying that dog shit stock. <laughs> like, what, what, good, what, good did, what good did it do you? You know, and then, but, he, but he, he, he creates this contrast. He was like, you know, he said, I'm not, and I'm not talking about a $400,000 a year, dollar a year, Wall Street stiff flying first class. No, no, I'm liquid. I'm talking about being liquid. Rich enough to have your own jet. You're talking about $50 million to $100 million. He's, but he, what he says, and this I thought about y'all when he said this. He said, "Rich enough not to." So he's talking about using. Repeat that line again. Rich enough not to what? Rich enough not to waste time. Exactly. Exactly. Like you got you know the, the no, money. Listen. The money is just a means to be able, be able to have the, the true that y'all talk about. The true resource is time because the time yeah. is the thing you can't no, get back. Hard work. Hard work is for suckers, right? And that's what he was trying. That's what Gordon Gecko was trying to tell the old head. Hard work it, is for suckers. That's the name of our next book, Core. Hard work is for suckers. That's gonna piss people. I already, already listen. <laughs> I already, I already started writing it, Joe. <laughs> I'm gonna send you. I'm gonna send you the, the manuscript. I already started writing. Hard work is for suckers. But... It is. Hard work is for suckers because really, the rich people. I don't know a rich person that works hard. You could talk. They could talk about how they get up and and and, and all of the, the hard stuff they had to do to get there. But hard work is getting up and going to a job you don't like for for enough pay that don't even pay your bills. That's hard work. That's not, not, you know getting up and going to a corporation where you're going to get paid a million dollars a day. That's not hard work. 
Right. Like you can change, you have time to do something else. You can actually change your circumstances. Right. When you when you don't have a, a chance to change your circumstances, you're working hard as hell. And that's yeah. you know, not to say that that there's no there's no value in hard work, but the the, the concept of hard work will make you rich is that's for suckers. But you that know what's interesting. All right, so what's interesting about this is, um, in, in, in talking about capitalism, one of the things about capitalism which is interesting to me is not capitalism itself, but how it's sold to us, how, 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 how wealth is sold to us. One of the um, movements that I see is the, the FIRE movement, right? Financially independent, retired early. And what these people in this FIRE movement have recognized is you, we're sold this thing of get a million dollars, get $10 million, get $50 million. I want to be a millionaire. I want to be a billionaire. Now we're talking about trillionaires. When, when you start breaking things down um, to the basics, being financially independent means having more money coming in than your bills or what it costs, what you have going out on a monthly basis. And if you strip things down to things that you uh, actually really need, you know, you can have $3,000 coming in a month. And if your bills are $1,500, you're, you're doing well. It doesn't take a billion dollars to have 3000 coming in if your bill is only 1500 Now, you say, what if my bills are more than that? You figure out what that number is, but also it's about a little bit of uh, the concept of minimalism. What do you actually pay for that you need or even sometimes that you want? Because a lot of us as consumers buy things to impress other people, not really for us. Right. But financially independent means that I, you know, I, I may save a couple hundred thousand dollars and I might be able to walk away from my job just because I have more money coming in than, than it's going out. That's actual financial independence. And I think about that too when I listen to that line that he talks about. He said a $400,000 working stiff flying first class. Like, I, I think about that, 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 the way he framed that. Yeah. But again, who is he trying to impress? That's the city college kid trying to impress the Ivy Leaguers. Right. So, he has a psychological thing going on where he's like, like, he's one of these guys, if you watch the film, he'll never be happy, right? Because you even see that, and, and, you know, we're not really talking about this, but right. if you ever watch Wall Street too, like, he gets addicted to the deals and just trying to prove, just trying to prove to a certain level of person that he's not this city college kid, right? right? So he'll never be happy. But true happiness is when you figure out what, what you need, what you need, and to have a little bit more than that, and then you worry about the things that matter most in life, whether that's community, family, whatever that is to you. You know, but the thing um, is, what he needed was to be more powerful than the people. So he, you know, you talk about needs. Needs are relative, right? So he was by being as powerful as he was, he was meeting a need. But here's right? another thing about bringing it to our community. A lot, of, a lot of us don't want to admit this, right? But a lot of us that are within the same space as we are. We don't want to build community instead of we're just trying to become the oppressor of our own people. Mm -hmm. A lot of us don't want to admit that, but some of us, that's what, that's what a lot that, of y'all that's, that's savage. Like, yo, you, it's right. What you're saying is, is correct, right? Because what happens is you, you get power and then you, you, gate, you, 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 you keep the gate from everybody else. That's crazy. Can I, can I talk? Can I talk briefly about and that? That reminded me of that 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 Facebook post I put up yesterday, and I, I was I was motivated by something I saw on social media, and when I put up the post about um, uh, you know, cutthroat, because again, I, I recognize that we all participate in capitalism, and I do have my my critiques of capitalism, but it is the system right now, right? Mm -hmm. So, but then there's some of us. I think there are different levels to our participation. And there's a different quality of participation that that some of us have. So I think there's some people that are, that are trying to be the 
like they don't just don't give a damn about nobody. It's all about, you know, their money. Um, some people might care a little bit about humanity, but at the end of the day, it's all about their money. And what I notice is a lot of times, like when we speak about like cultural nationalism and this whole like push to like support black business and, you know, you should support, you know, black people should support black and we should do this and that. And I think we should generally, but the, uh, the devil is always in the details because you have a lot of, like, like you just said, Jim, you have a lot of black people, all they trying to do, they saying, oh, well, you know, you know, the white people been in our neighborhood exploiting us, or the Jews been in our neighborhood exploiting us, or the Chinese been in our neighborhood, and the Koreans and everybody. And then, and then it's like, you know, you should come to my business. <laughs> like, well, you just want to do what they doing. And then you, you expect me to do because just because you black. You know what I mean? And that, that reminded me of this, like, because you know, it's, again, class analysis. Like, we, what we lack a lot of times is, is no class analysis. And a lot of times when you have the more well, a lot of times you have wealthy blacks that will use this, this pronoun us and we, and we got to unite, we got to do this. A lot of them people, they don't want to unite with the poor black people. They want the, the, the wealthy black people to unite. And then they become like this kind of like oligarchy and this like elite wealthy class. That talented 10th. It's the white people. Yeah, the, the talented And, that's, and that, that was the, the boys realized that that was, that he realized his error because he realized like, damn, these Negroes, just trying to duplicate what the white people are doing and replace them. They're not trying to be what I envisioned for the talented tenth, which is this like leadership class that's going to help the whole group, you know, come up. They just like want some like, yeah, we about to get our money and go the over here. Elite, elite, yeah, the bourgeoisie. Elite but, but, but listen, that bring it back to, that. To, to charity, right? So we talked about charity earlier. So now, now, now the circle is complete, right? So you're talking about the black, you know, bourgeoisie. Right. Who, 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 you know, you take the money and then you, you, you give it back as charity instead of actually, because, you know, one of the things I have a problem with is reform. Like, mm -hmm. don't reform nothing for me. Fix right. the shit or, or don't talk to me about it. I don't want to hear nothing about reform. Right. Right. So, so my thing is charity is reforms, which is why I don't like charity. It's not that I don't like charities. I don't like the concept of charity because the shit is reform. It doesn't fix the problems. It only puts a band-aid on the problems and it does nothing to fix the problems. The, the, the problems are systemic and the problems are, are built in a way that if you don't fix them, they'll never get fixed. And so any, my, my thing is any charity that doesn't have the goal to work itself out of business isn't a charity at all. It's, a, it's, right. a, it's basically a hostile, I mean, it's, it's basically a brothel with a pimp. Because basically now you've become part of something that that neighborhood needs to, as a crutch to survive instead of something that empowers the people to never need you again. It's poverty pimping. It's poverty yeah. pimping. And yeah. so, yeah. you know, that's, that, that brings that, that, that whole idea full circle. So you got to be really, really careful about the, the kind of, you know, charities that you donate to. But that thing, that thing about uh, Gecko, um, tying it back into the movie, is just interesting because watching it again now, you recognize that um, when he, he, when in the beginning we talked about being a city college kid, right? So you recognize that he, he is that same thing. He's trying to become the oppressor, uh, you know what I mean? As as opposed to finding a solution because he felt he felt some type of way about how he was treated on the way up, which is when he talks about buying his way on the board and all these things, and then. It's almost like he recognizes that he'll never be able to do it, right? That statement about I bought my way on the board, it, still, it doesn't matter, right? They're looking at you one way because that, you know, they're always going to look at you that way, no matter how much money you can accumulate or how much you can screw them. 
to the point where, like I said, that that that's that line when he comes in, I could buy you eight times. Like all everything that he accomplished at that point didn't matter. They still looked at him as being that city college kid, right? So this this and it's funny how many things you take from a movie. It reminded me of people who are always trying to um, you know, um play respectability politics. And you know, I'm I'm a I'm a good one over here, like you know. You know what I mean? Because because that's kind of like what he's trying to do, like trying to show you I could do I could do this just as good as you. Right. Now, F that. You know, um, I don't I don't dig their respectability politics, and it kind of kind of made me think about that when he talked about buying his way on the board, and you know they love animals but they don't love people. That that's what a lot of that made me think of. Like you're the city college kid trying to buy your way into this 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 elite group, and when it when you pissed him off, his feelings came out about like you know. He called him a, what did he call him? A pirate. He's like, you're just nothing but a little pirate. Mm-hmm. He still was looking down on him. You know right. what I mean? And there's something else I wanted to say too. Like when you mentioned um, the, the book, the upcoming book title, uh, Hard Workers for Suckers. Um, it, may, it makes me think about Jacob Carruthers, the late Jacob Carruthers, one of the founders. He was a political scientist, one of the founders of ASCAC, along with Dr. John Henry Clark, Dr. Ben, um, Asa Hilliard, um, and some others. And in his book, he has this essay where he talks about the, the contradiction of capitalism because like those that promote capitalism and even historically, there's this idea of this is, it's connected to this like Protestant work ethic of like, you know, work hard and, you know, work hard and then you'll be rewarded. But yet actually at the same time, they devalue people, those that, those that are winning within capitalism, those that are the elites, they devalue people that actually work hard. Cause it's like, oh, you, what you, you out here getting your hands dirty? Like you, you really working? Like, oh, you, you're beneath me. You know, so it's like, on the one hand, they'll sell us this idea of work hard, Protestant work ethic and all that. And that's how you, you know, become wealthy. And that's, they make that the goal for you to become wealthy. That's like the carrot they hang out in front of us. Um, but at the same time, those that already, that are wealthy, they're like, nah, like, we don't actually work hard. Like, if you're working hard, you're doing something wrong. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and even like with my, you know, with my students, I would, I would tell, I would have listen, this, I would ask stop, them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you right there because what happens is they'll tell you all day how hard they work. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. They, they sell you that, that, that dream of how hard they work. They, they get the money and then tell you how hard they work to get it, which is foolishness. The, the, the thing that gets people, everything is, every business is built on leverage. You, every, you, people have problems and you're able to solve those problems. That's what businesses do. Businesses solve problems. And so that leverage is what gets you paid. So every business is built on leverage. So it's not even about hard work. It's about what kind of leverage can you bring to the market? It's not about hard work. And that's what people don't understand. I'm giving away the book, but I'm just saying, like, it's, it's never about hard work. It's always about leverage. Yeah. Always. Yeah. That, 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 even, that, even that concept of hard work is all, is all relative to the situation. Like, I, w- I would tell students, and, you know, because they would – they would talk, we would have conversations about their favorite commercial rappers. And, and they would say, they would one of the, and I would be critical of the rappers. And then they would, they would come to their defense. And they would, sometimes they, when they would say things like, you know, but he, he works so hard or she works so hard. And then I'd be like, bro, think about this. Your mom probably, your mom, I mean, your job, your mom got one job or two jobs. Like, oh, my mom worked two jobs. You mean to tell me, and she might be, you know, working, working class or whatever, you know, might have a job as a janitor or might have a job as a CNA or something, something like mm-hmm. something, working class job, right? I'm like, you mean to tell me that, that this guy works harder than your mom do on a, on a daily basis and a weekly basis? Your mom might be up at five o'clock in the morning, you know, catching a bus to go to this place. You might be scrubbing toilets or something. You mean to tell me like he, like, not to say that there's no work involved, but let's, if we had to quantify like the amount of work and the, the difficulty 
you know, and especially when you look at it in terms of like how much she's paid for what she's doing, or even your dad, how much he's paid for what he's doing versus what they're paid for what they're doing. Do you think that they do you think that they work harder? And I, I think I just I just wanted to plant that seed to get them to think like, okay, so what is what is hard work really? Like what does it really look like? Because I think a lot mm-hmm. of them, I think a lot of them, they don't examine that concept. Because somebody could just tell them, like, he works hard, this person works hard. And they say, Oh, I believe it. You know, kind of like when somebody come on, like, I, I hate this, I hate to hear this uh this thing, like, you know, when somebody comes on the radio, like, oh, it's your boy, what's the name? Like, who told you we was cool? <laughs> That's, that's like sub, subliminal suggestion. You try to tell me that, that we cool. Like, no, nah, I don't even. I don't, I don't. How do you know I like you? You know, like, oh, it's your. And I remember that. I remember when I started, like, twenty years ago, with like, you know, like urban, like radio marketing. Like, <laughs> it's your boy. Like, it's yeah. Your boy. Like, oh, like, nah, you don't. You don't. You don't know. You don't even like me. I don't. I might not like you. I might not know you. Like, I don't. I might not like what you stand for. But that's like like subliminal suggestion, and we never stop to think and and question that. It's like, marketing. Yeah, it's, it's just marketing. Idea of hard work is marketing. That, that's been marketed to us because what does it actually mean? I, I see a lot of people, everybody, here's the first thing. Everybody thinks they work hard, right? Uh, no matter what profession, I've talked to doctors, lawyers, teachers, trash men. Everybody thinks they work hard. Like, and, and, they, and they quantify by talking about how many hours they put in, right? You may have sat behind your desk and did nothing, you know what I mean? But, but the fact is you feel because I put these hours in uh, that I work hard, right? Tying at the, tying at the time again. You know, they, they, they equate time with uh, hard work. But again, it's about working smart. And that doesn't um, mean just white collar. You can be a blue collar worker and work smart. And Gecko, Gecko missed that. Can I, can I go to another quote? Absolutely. So I think, I think the, the, most, the most crucial quote, well, conversation was toward the end of the movie when Bud found out, Bud Fox found out about the Blue Star deal, the Blue Star takeover, and how he was going to cannibalize it and sell it off. And he comes to him and he basically like, you know, he gives him some more, he spits some more game to him. And, you know, Bud asks, let me get my, my papers. I just got this printed up. Bud asks, how much is enough? And to which Gecko replies, it's a zero sum game. Somebody wins and somebody loses. The money is simply transferred from one perception to another. So, so right there, just putting it out there, like, yo, the money's not even real, which again, reminded me of another movie the movie Blow with Johnny Depp and Ray Liotta because mm-hmm. his pop was trying to tell him like, yo, you got his pop tried to tell him to slow down too. Like, you know, you're out here getting all this money. You know, I know what you're doing, but the money's not real, man. Like, you know what I mean? You need to chill. This, the money that you're making is, it's not real. All this is, none of this is real. Right. So Gecko is basically admitting that it's transferred from one perception to another. He talks and then he gives him the example. He says, look at this painting. I bought this painting for $60,000. Today I could sell it for 600. The illusion has become real and the realer it gets, the more desperately people want it. He says, capitalism at its finest. He says, the richest 1% owns half of the wealth. He's saying this back in 80, this movie came out in 87. Yeah, yeah. Then one third is hard work. The other two thirds is inheritance, interest on interest accumulating to widows and idiot sons. And what I do, stock and real estate speculation. It's bullshit. This is what Gecko said. Gecko says it like, yo, it's bullshit. You know? Um, I own. I make, uh, he was like, nothing. But I own. I don't create anything. You know, I own, I own stuff. You know? Um, 
and it's just he just breaks it down and like that that right there like that's the that's one of the greatest to me one of the greatest especially in a movie definitions or explanations of capitalism that i've ever heard it's like it's, it's really it's, it's i mean I, I think about real estate a lot and i, I just think about like real estate like how do, how do we value how much a house should be what someone's willing to pay for it that's with anything yeah. and, and it's like if somebody if somebody moves if somebody has um certain prejudices about a certain group of people and then those people move into the neighborhood then the cost of your house can go down by fifty thousand dollars overnight but yeah, there's yeah. no real there's no real tangible reason for it. it's all about just human feelings and it's, it's somewhat, that's somewhat. Why, that's why human capital is the, 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 but, the greatest commodity. Though. But if you study appraisal science, right? So real estate science, which is appraisal, if you study the valuation science, to say, uh-huh. there are things that contribute to that, right? Um, right? Right. So real estate always has value because it's desirable. It, it has utility, the scarcity, right. the transferability, the whole concept of dust, D-U-S-T. Also, there's a concept called PEGS. It's your physical, environmental, governmental, and social. So it's the people, but it's also the government around it. So it's how it's governed, right? right? The people will be considered like, you know, what's going on socially. It's the same reason why if a great school pops up within a neighborhood, it could add value, right? right. So the idea is the people, right? That's true. If you, consider, if you consider these people to be of a certain class or ilk and they move within a neighborhood, it could affect value. But at the same time, if those people came in and helped contribute to the businesses, the schools, right? That could also bring value the other way. So it's not about how people feel about you. It's about actually what you do, which is why action is even more important. So we talk about these quote unquote neighborhoods of, 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 of minorities or people, however you want to, um, whatever term you want to use. If you start to build those neighborhoods up, right, which is why a lot of times when we talk about the concept of by the hood, it's not just about owning the property you live in, but until you start to own the businesses and build on that infrastructure, the community, the schools and things like that, that's when you, cause you can actually control value, right? If you work as a group, you can control the value, right? It's the reason why, um, and, and historically speaking, we've done this as people. We, we have examples that have been set forth from our ancestors of, of building beautiful black neighborhoods, building mm-hmm. beautiful black economies and the value of that property goes up, right? So, but the idea that he was expressing there is absolutely true about the idea of ownership and, and creation, right? So Elon Musk was recently on a um, podcast and talked about um, his disdain for, say, a Warren Buffett, because he feels like uh, him as an entrepreneur, he creates things. Mm-hmm. He creates like the Tesla or, or, or help to create PayPal or help to create, you know, SpaceX. He actually creates things. And he had a little disdain because he said, this guy doesn't create anything. He reads balance sheets and moves money from here to there. And it's a little truth in that, right? One of, the, one of the things that Corey and I teach when we go in the community is understanding how a bank works. Because when you think about what a bank does, you know, the bank may take your money, Kill, and, and, and you know, loan it to me, right. charge me 10%, and then pay you back 1%. Exactly. Right? In fact, break it down even further... If, if I'm a shareholder in Wells Fargo, they're going to pay me out like 4 or 5% in the form of a dividend, meaning that I'm paying my investors more than the people that are actually giving me the money to create these products. Mm-hmm. It's about ownership. Those that own the bank make more than those that give the bank the actual capital to exist in the first place, which is absolutely insane when you think about it, right? Right. But that, that's why that quote that he had was so powerful because... 
he did break down capitalism very well because what he said is it comes down to ownership. Right. It comes down. That's what it really comes down to. He said, "I." He said, "I own." And then, and then think think about him is like he's he's so uh, he's just he's uh, unapologetic, you know. But it's, it's mm-hmm. part see part of my my printout got cut off. But it, let me let me go on. It's a, it's a couple more things he said. He said, mm-hmm. "I own." He said, "I create nothing. I own." And he said, "But Bud, you're not naive enough to think we're living in a democracy." So he got ninety. <laughs> he got ninety percent. He looks out at his huge windows, looking out over Manhattan or to Man, toward, looking out. He said, 90% of the public out there with little to no net worth. Um, he's like, the news, the war, peace, famine. He's like, we create all of that. You know, like, we, we're, we're responsible for all of that. Like, those, like, we, we can, we own. Those they own, we, we, we create all of that. Yeah. You know? um, but, yeah, but that, like, I mean, he said him, he's like, it's, it's, it's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I, An illusion. I, I, illusion becomes real. Like, when the, the illusion becomes real. Like I bought this paint for sixty thousand, now I could buy it. For, I could sell it for six hundred. Man, you ever see somebody that like will tell a lie and they and they say it so much that they start to believe it, right? And in their head, they actually believe it, but they they're lying, <laughs> but they actually believe it. So, um, man, listen, if you tell something so long and, and so much, that becomes reality. What is reality, right? right. Um, and and that's the idea. That's, that's, the, that's the Donald Trump move, though. He'll just repeat a lie until it becomes the truth. Yo, that's something to be said about that. I mean, something to be said about that. I mean, human psychology is interesting. That's a study into itself, but I, you know, I, you know, to be honest, you know, he Donald's, you know, I, I, don't, I, I ain't gonna get into the politics of that, but you know, he's not really, you know, that's that his 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 move is that's his move. Yeah, <laughs> that's his, that's his go-to move. That's his that's his Ric Flair figure four. I get that. Um, yeah. Yeah, but 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 tying it back to what Kill said about that quote, that is very powerful, man. That's a powerful quote. I might go rip that uh, just to post that piece on our social media because he broke it down um, to him. It is also interesting about that part of the movie, right? Where, and this again, like we're talking about the movie Wall Street and, and the different um, the different lessons that we learned from Wall Street and the whole idea of Bud Fox. Bud Fox was okay tearing apart companies and selling everything until it hit him personally. Right. And tying us back to our community. A lot of times we're okay when we see things happen until it hits us close to home. Right. When he should have been, he should have been, he should have recognized that this is wrong from the get go. Like you're doing this to other people's families. Right. Whether, you know, we're we're talking about like, you know, tell our paper. um, You know what I mean? Um, uh, what's the, uh, the, the so the airline was his father's one? It was tell all paper. What's the other big company? Uh, in Erie, PA, and it got still, yeah. So, all the different companies that you're okay with it with when it comes to them, but now when it hits close to home, it's like you want to have feelings now. Now, all of a sudden, you want to you know be in your emotional bag, but you were okay with it all, all the other times when you were doing it, you were okay with it, but now when it hits cl- a typical rationalization that again, we, we do often embrace a lot of times in our communities, and a lot of communities they embrace this, this whole. It's like this philosophical issue that we have. And uh, his, the girlfriend, Darian, she kind of puts it out there because after, after Bud finds out what Gecko did, and then he's like telling her like, yo, I'm, about to, I'm basically about to go to war with him. And then she's like, whoa, hold up. Nah, I'm not, I'm not trying to go to war with Gecko. Like, you know, I, she's like, I, I know who butters my bread. Gecko butters my bread. So I choose being able to um, have his support over this relationship and over you. Like, you cool, but... You know, <laughs> he was like, I don't, I don't want to get by, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want that. I don't, I've been struggling. I've been struggling my whole life. I don't want to get by my whole life. 
I need go, I need get go support. But what she says to him is, and this is something that made me think of this old Onyx Sticky Fingers line. And Sticky Fingers is like, he's like, you know, he's, he, he's talk, I can't, he's basically talking about drug dealing. He's like, they got to get it from somebody. Might as well be me, which is like that, that rationalization that he, I guess that's to assuage, like maybe some, some whatever, um, personal guilt. But Darian says, if Gordon doesn't buy Blue Star, someone else will. And who's to say they won't do the same thing? So it was mm-hmm. like trying to tell him, tell him, tell Bud, like, yo, you might as well just just let him do it. Cause if he don't do it, somebody else gonna do it. You know, and I think I think that's a that's a question that we all have to have to deal with because that you might, I mean, we we probably have all been in this situation. I know I've been in this situation where you're confronted with something, an uh, opportunity to do something, you know within your own mind and your heart of hearts, it might not be the appropriate thing to do or the right thing to do. And then you start to you start to naturally do your cost benefit analysis. You do your pros and cons list, and you say, well, one of the reasons that I could do it is because, well, if I don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. So it's not like it's not going to get done. It's not like if I don't do this thing, this thing is just not going to happen. So then you say, well, like, shit, might as well be me. You know what I'm saying? And and I'm gonna get paid while I do it. You know, I'm I'm basically then you start looking at it like I'm just leaving money on the table. Mm-hmm. You know. So I mean, but I think and again, I think in terms of like talking to youth. This is something I need to think about more in terms of like having these conversations with my own children and with, with other youth is like, how do, how do we address that? Because that's a, that's a, that's a, that it, I, I think it is, it's logical. It's logical in results. Like what, what's the end result? What's the outcome? Like whether I'm the person that's pulling the trigger or somebody else is pulling the trigger, that person still did. Right. But, but again, using the logic from the old head at the firm, it's about the long game. Uh-huh. You're you're going to make your money today, but what is it going to do for you in the long run? Right. Right. Like, what are you like, you know, uh, so it's about, it's about, again, thinking long-term it's about thinking IBM and Hilton to use the analogy of the movie um, and not just trying to get this flash in the pan right now. So when you look at who people revere, whether that's in our community or just overall, whether it's capitalism, whether it's the arts, it's people that have built things um, that kind of outlive them. So it's not about being a flash in the pan. It's about building something. So even when it comes down to you as a person, right, you pull that trigger, you're like, okay, someone's going to pull the trigger, but what's it going to do from you 10, 20 years from now? Right. You got to live with that. You know what I mean? You got to live with that. All these corporate raiders that exist and made bunches of money, like within the eighties, most of us don't even know who they are. Like I know some of the names because I read the history, but to the average person, we don't even know who they are. Right. Yeah, but, but 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 on their end, they like I don't care if you know who I am. I've because been living, I, I've been living a plush life for the last forty years. That's that, so, that's that's fine. But see, but but that's fine. But at the end of the day, they doing it for the money, not the glory. My thing is, if they doing it for the money, then they did the right thing. But it's not even about the glory per se. It's it's a it's about it's about legacy. Like so, what is important to you? That's another thing too. That, that's the about. thing, that, and, and that's what we're talking about. So if the glory is the legacy, what, what legacy do you leave behind? That's the glory. Right? And they're that's, not doing it for the glory. They're doing it for the money. And that's a whole different conversation. I remember talking to a kid one time when, we were, um, when me and Corey went and spoke at the Youth Studies Center. And, oh, yeah. and, he, and, and, and the kids, one of the kids was talking about like, yo, I would rather be a flash in the pan. Like I'd rather have, be a drug dealer with a fast run and go to jail for the rest of my life than to live a long, sustaining life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I always think about like, what do you tell someone like that? Yeah, like where you, because, where you know where you know what the consequences are, but I would rather have that because I want my name to ring bells in this small little sector of the world, within these streets. 
I want to be remembered in these streets because they don't have the perspective. They don't have a global perspective, right? right. It, within our community, some of the people we revere, they weren't the wealthiest people. All of us love Malcolm. Ma- Malcolm may handle bread, right? Yeah, he, he died broke. So, so what I'm saying is like, what is it really about? What do you value? So Corey, to your point, you're saying if they only value the money, then they made the right move. If, that, right? if that's what they value, then they made the right move for their, you know, but their you always mind state. About, you always talk about thinking past your lifespan. Yo, listen, right? I wouldn't make that move. I'm not saying that that's the right move in totality. I'm saying for them, they if, if they're not thinking past their lifespan and all they can see is the day in front of them, then, if, then you got to go get the money. Because that's the, that, that's the right choice for that right situation. Get back to your point, then. Then it's about teaching the youth to think past their lifespan. How do you do that? You that's a difficult. To. But that's a difficult. That's a difficult ask. I think it comes. It comes down to as you were talking. It made me think about um, your, your concept of time. So the young brother is thinking, I'd rather just have a have a good run, six months, a year, two years, and then go to jail for the rest of my life. I think his concept of time is different. His, his concept of time might be, you know, he, he might not expect to live past 21. That's a great point. So if he's, if he's, if he's 17 and he's thinking like that, he's like, well, shit, I, I, I have an expiration date. I'm going to be dead at 21. Listen. And if I'm going to be dead at 21, so then now, now as we're talking about this, again, this is something else we got. We, we have to have some more um, maybe uncomfortable conversations in the community about, like, why a lot of young people make these decisions. So if you, because if, if you think like, shit, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to live to be like, cause it's kind of like, you know what I mean? Like that old, uh, what is it? Uh, the locks and mace song, uh, 24 hours to live. Like, what would you do? You know what I'm saying? What would you do? You got 24 hours to live. You, you might make some moves that you wouldn't make that you might, that might be seen as like to Corey's point, it's all relative. Like you might make some moves. If you have 24 hours to live, that would be seen as very irresponsible. If you are planning to live for the next 50 years, man, that's an amazing Versus point. If I'm only living another 24 hours, it's a lot of shit that I'm going to do a lot. I might do a lot differently. That's, you know that's I mean? the point. I never thought about that. More hours. I never thought about it that way. So if these young kids are thinking like, I'm, I'm not going to be here, you know, to quote Jay-Z again, I'm like, I, we say life expectancy so low that we writing our wills at 18. Like, yeah. so, so it's like, if I think I'm only going to live a certain amount of time, I'm going to live reckless. I'm going to like, you know, I'm going to be a cowboy essentially because I don't plan on being here anyway. So yeah, um, that's, that's something else to add. add. That's something to add to the complexity of, of mm-hmm. that conversation. But the thing about it is, though, when you think about this in, in reference back to the movie, you know, Buffett, uh, not Buffett, um, Gecko's probably thinking in his head, like, I only got one life to live, so I'm going to just go, I'm, I'm going to be this pirate, this raider, and this, this be gone. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? What is it all worth? But again, that's not thinking past your lifespan. And the, and the crazy part about that is, if you watch part two, you see how it plays out. You ever see part two of Kill? I seen part two. I need to revisit it though. Yeah, right. So if you watch part two, right, and this goes to Corey's point about thinking past your lifespan. All the money he's made, and within like a small sector of the world, he's considered a legend. His daughter he was, wants. He came back. He was he was broke in part two, right? Yes, but his daughter yeah. wanted nothing to do with him, and it right. bothered him tremendously. So he has people that still look up to him, like, oh, man, that's Gordon Gecko and all this. But his right. daughter wanted nothing to do with him because she kind of ruined his life because his legacy was put on her. So let me talk. Let me talk about two what I thought were inconsistencies. I don't know if they were just errors, because in part two, I remember he had a daughter. Yeah. But in part one, he had, he had a son. son. Yeah. So I'm like, when did he have? Because I know I'm assuming he went to jail right after uh, he was already pregnant. But then, like, his son didn't even wasn't even in the mix in part two, from what I remember. 
I, I think know. they mentioned him like uh, I gotta rewatch it, but if I remember correctly, I think they mentioned that he wanted nothing to do with him either. So he was like he wasn't even part of it. And but that was part of his issue. Part of his issue was um I did all these things, like so in this small finance sector, you got the other young kids who wanna be pirates, right? They wanna be the drug dealer, like to, to use this analogy. Right. Um, but my own kids want nothing to do with me. Because Right. So let's let's break it down. Like, so you have a drug dealer that has this run and, and certain kids look up to this drug dealer, but their kids sometimes live with the stigma of, you know, your father's out here shooting people and acting a fool. So his daughter wanted nothing to do with him. So his idea to, to try to get back in her eyes was to get back on top. Like, I'm trying to I'm gonna go back and get some more money because that, that's all he knows how to do. Right. Um, the other the other inconsistency I thought about, like early in the movie and they, when they first mentioned it was two it was two parts to this so nasa is a is a government agency right get nasa is is that is that true that's from what i thought nasa is a government agency nasa is not a privately a privately owned company right yeah i think nasa is nasa one of them quasi uh um quasi companies or is it all completely government i think it's government though that's what i thought yeah it's an agency of the uh united states federal government yeah so, because he says, uh, and it, so um, the guy McGinley's character says, you know, Gecko, you know, 20 minutes after the space, the, the Challenger blows up, he's he's on the phone, short NASA stock. And then I was like, wait, but the Challenger, this, the movie set in 85. The mm-hmm. Challenger didn't blow up till January 1986. So that was something else that I, I wondered about. You yeah. know, I know it came out in 80s. I know the movie came out in 87. He did. It was say, to be set in 85. Yeah, he did. He did say that. Um Although, uh, let me see, because it had a yeah, he did say that. Although he could have shorted, thing, I wonder what was up with that. There, there are a lot of stuff he could have shorted, like in, in reference to that. So when he says short NASA stock, he could have shorted the overall market, because when NASA happened, the whole market, you know, the whole market dropped. So he could have shorted the whole market, but I mean, I, or it just could be inconsistency. But but but, you know, um, who but again, knows? even that, like that kind of in terms of like, Gecko was a character. Again, it's like I guess it's I guess it's how we compartmentalize sometimes. It's like yeah, because I guess the, I guess the thing why why McGinley's character brought that up because he was trying to bring it up like yo, this guy just don't give a fuck. He's all about his money. Like you know, people died on that on that space space shuttle. Ron, Ron McNair, you know, the, the black man, the brother Ron McNair, who a lot of um, mm-hmm. um, STEM programs targeted at, at African American youth um, are named after, like McNair, McNair Scholars programs. They got that in colleges all over the country, and you know, he was on there. So I guess a lot of people were just kind of on some like, you know, sad, you know, but then I, I wonder about that. Cause I'm like, but, but know, see in every tragedy, you know, for, for people who, who, who think in money terms, for every tragedy, there's a dollar to be made. Yeah. I mean, yeah. For every tragedy, there's the, like when, 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 when Katrina happened and, and they, and, and, and that swath of, of, of um, New Orleans got knocked down, speculators came in and grabbed that, shit at, at, at you know a pennies on a dollar and rebuilt it yeah. you know what i mean so in houston the same thing when houston got you know smacked with the storm speculators came and grabbed all of that so you know what i mean like for every tragedy with hundreds and thousands of people die and, and earthquakes and, and, and tornadoes and floods and all of that stuff like it, you know people dying yeah. people yeah, lots of people die I got, I got a question for y'all. I'm going to run this by y'all because I, I just, I thought about this. So to the general public that doesn't really study the stock market, doesn't really study investments, they, 
is under the belief that there's there's not a there's not a, a bear market that there's only a bull market mm-hmm. and that's why people always say people always are kind of under this impression that oh when the stock drops i'm gonna lose money right so it's like i i, I wonder about like why what is it about like i guess I don't know whether the education process or because people will know, like you might know a little bit about the stock market, but you'll just think, oh, when the stock price goes up, I make money. But never like the, the, the implications of the bear market. Whereas like, you know, even like you said with tragedy, there's still opportunities to make money. Sometimes it's seen as. All right. So, so let, let's, let's take this. Let's, let's, take, let's take COVID-19, right? Right. Yeah. COVID-19, lots of companies got slaughtered. Amazon. Netflix, Zoom, you know, companies that already were uh, about people being stationary and sitting down, they made a bazillion dollars, right? right? Walmart, places where people have to go and do things, Clorox, Clorox made a, a, a stupid killing and will continue to because of this COVID thing. So there's lots of companies that, that, that ate like a fat rat during this downturn for the most of the companies. Microsoft, uh, Amazon, Netflix, you know, Walmart. I'll, like, t- I'll take it a step further, Kill. Um, the, 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 and it's going to sound like, you know, but here's the bottom line. It doesn't matter what it says from day to day. They say the S&P went up or the Dow went up. It doesn't matter. Like the people making money regardless, right? So... The opposite of what Corey said, there's also companies that are getting slaughtered during this. And someone even accused me because I was telling people like, yo, a couple months ago, yo, I'm shorting Amazon and I'm shorting GameStop. And this is before COVID, by the way. And to be completely honest, the idea to short GameStop, I got from the kids in our camp. Now, these are five to 12 year olds telling me like, I don't go to GameStop no more. I just download stuff digitally. Like who goes to GameStop? Da, da, da. Mm. So and I was listening to the kids. I started listening to the kids and I started shorting GameStop and I was pretty much using them as an ATM machine for months. And I got this from little kids, um, black, black and brown kids telling us, listen, we don't use that no more. A lot of times we have knowledge that we don't even recognize we have as a community, but that's a whole other issue. Um, right. And the market so is cyclical. Yeah, so I started shorting it. Um, I shorted AMC. AMC Theaters gave me my first job when I was in Central. Like, I had my first job at the movie theater. I made more money shorting AMC over the last couple of months than I ever did working there. And the fact of the matter is, someone told me, they kind of they hit me like, people are going to lose jobs and this, that, and the third, and you're making money. And, I, you know, part of me, not going to lie, I kind of use my sticky fingers uh, logic. I'm going to start using that from now on since you said that. I, I use my, <laughs> sticky, my sticky fingers logic to uh, kind of justify it. But... Then on the flip side, I was thinking like, these are terribly run businesses. They're, I can't save them if I wanted to. They're yeah. terribly run businesses. If, that if haven't, they're going out of business and I know they're going out of business, why shouldn't I make money? Because they haven't prepared for the future. But the point in saying that is the overall market can look like it's moving one way, but somewhere there's somebody that's making money on the market moving that way. Right. So a lot of what happens in the movie Wall Street in terms of insider trading, it, it actually happens a different way now. So and uh, Trump tweeted this recently. Where he talked about some of these big names in finance will get on these TV shows and talk about the economy like it's going to go bad or whatever. Meanwhile, they're shortening it, they're shortening it and it drops and then they make money and then they buy on the other side. So it was a whole different way of kind of doing the same thing. Um, and uh, he tweeted about it recently. He was tweeting about it, trying to like take up for himself. Like, hey, it's not my fault they do this. You know, but what he said was like, it's some truth to that. But the point I'm making in terms of your question, 
Um, people are making money, whether stuff goes up, stuff goes down, there's money to be made. Billions of dollars are moved in the market in a daily basis. And it's just transfer of wealth from one to the other, right? Because the average person knows, like, you know, you buy low and sell high, but the average person does the opposite, right? Right. When everything was going great for the last 10 years, like a lot of times they didn't buy or they put a minimum amount into their 401k and then stuff starts to drop like now and they want to sell. You did the opposite of what everybody knows you should do. You've done the opposite. Right. But all you're doing is transferring wealth from one party to the other. That's all it is. It's an illusion. Yeah, it's an illusion. Can I go back to another gecko quote that we talked about earlier? But there's, a, there's another aspect of it I think is, is, is yeah. critical. So that line um, that, you, that you put in the book, Corey, the most valuable is information. So, and I started thinking about how people... So there's, there's, a, there's a popular quote in our community that I'm not really a fan of. And it's this idea that, um, and actually bought, I bought a t-shirt one time with it on it. And then when I got the t-shirt in the mail, I looked at it and I thought about it and I was like, nah, I can't really represent that because I don't really fully believe in it. I see the point in it, but I don't really believe in it. So it's just this idea that in the age of information, ignorance is a choice, right? Which to me, it sounds good on the surface, but you have the value of the information. I think that's another part of it. And I'm thinking about Bud Fox, how Gecko's like, yo, I need information. I need you to stop. I need you to stop. I need you to start bringing me information. Stop. Well, he said, stop bringing me information. Start getting me information. So Fox is like, all right. You know what I mean? He's using his intelligence. He basically gets, gets the fake shirt from the cleaning company, starts going into the, to the law offices the, that are doing the investment banking deals, the, the legal firms. And he's like basically going into the file cabinet, stealing the information. But then I'm sitting there looking at the movie and I'm like, okay, so, and that information is worth literally millions and millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. And then he knows Gecko. He knows somebody that can like make good on that information, do something with it. But he had to steal that cleaning company shirt. There are people that actually already work for cleaning companies that are in them offices every night with access to that information. And they're not in there stealing it. They're not in there like going in there, like taking pictures of it or, you know, putting their money together with their whoever to get a uh, old school scanner to scan it up for me or just shit, take the whole file, steal the whole file mm-hmm. because they don't know the value of that information. So it may be like Listen, how, I'll how take it a step further real quick, Kill, to that point. If you remember when he talked to Gecko, Gecko said, I, I guarantee you after you left here, you jumped on the phone and you bought some of that Teldar or whatever. Right. He's like, no. He still doesn't know the value of the information, right? So right. although, so he doesn't fully comprehend the value of the information. And Gecko, who does comprehend the value of all that information, looked at him like, I'm pretty sure you made a move once you left this office because he heard him in there talking. And he didn't. And, and again, so that's, that's another thing that we have to, uh, like, we have to, we have to teach the community. And I think, again, it, it, a, lot of, a lot of our, like, a lot, a lot of us, some of us, we manifest our hatred for black people by making that criticism that, well, you know, it's, it's Google out here. You can Google anything or you can search anything or you can do it. I'm like, yeah, that's true. But you, before, before I Google something, I'm not going to Google nothing that I don't think is valuable. Like, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't think that I need to know this, I'm not going to Google it. Like, I'm not going to search it up. I'm not going to take my phone out and, and go to go to my Safari app and like type in, type in the name of it. I'm not going to do that. I have to first know or believe that it's going to help me solve some problems yeah. or this, this information is going to be valuable to me. Um, even in it's, it's a lot of aspects of our life where, you know, um, we encounter, I think about being a, being a classroom teacher. I, I used to think about like, 
I remember I told it like Delaware Valley and even other places. Like, you know how you got the security guards in the hallway, you know, or you got the NTAs in the hallway. And sometimes I used to sit back and think like, yo, like I'm getting paid to teach algebra two, pre-calculus, trigonometry. Like this is the same shit that if I was at UPenn in West Philly, these white kids would be paying all this tuition to learn. It's the same exact math, right? Mm -hmm. But it has the things that the same things that people in different stations of life. And I used to wonder like, Damn, like what if what if the NTA like just like you know repositioned his chair or the security guard repositioned his chair right by my door and had broke out a notebook and was like really learning geometry? Like what mm -hmm. just listening to me talk on the, at the board every day because I'm I'm teaching geometry and he or she could really be like learning this shit. And I was like, and it just it just hit me one day. I was like, damn, like, but but again, you have to you have to feel and believe that that information has value to you. So it's deeper than is, you know, there is, there also is a digital divide. Everybody doesn't have access, you know, to the internet and to, you know, have awareness of things. But, you know, you have, you have to know, you have to, you have to know the value in things. And I, cause I was thinking about that cleaning lady, like, you know, uh, and I don't know, maybe, maybe Oliver Stone was trying to, trying to do this. Maybe this is the idea he was trying to put out there because the cleaning lady was right there, vacuuming the floor. And no vacuuming idea. The floor, right? File capital was right there. And then Bud Fox comes in. He just, he's straight in there, like, you know, scheming. You know, going going to file cabinet, stealing the information, taking it back to get go. It's interesting you say that. I talk about goodwill hunting when you talk about like um, a janitor or something, or picking up yeah. like math knowledge or whatever. But um, also to me, like like Corey's main thing is time. I always talk about value because to me, value is one of the most important things in life, and it's not just assets; it's people, right? We talk about um, you know, having a great asset or a bad asset. Those could also be people, and understanding how to value like certain assets, right? Which is information. How do you value information? And that's interesting too, that you pulled that from the movie um, because you're absolutely right. I, and I was watching that scene and you see the one Mexican, the Mexican guy vacuuming, the lady cleaning, and he's like putting it on as if he's, um, you know, coming to check up on him with the clipboard and he's walking right. in there making billion dollar deals and they have no idea. They're not even, they're not even paying him any mind. Um, right. So it is about understanding the value of information, not just having a bunch of information. Like, you know, there's libraries all over the place. People don't go into the library, right? There's valuable information in there, but people don't know how to take advantage of it. So if you're not taught how to take advantage of it or how to use it, um, it doesn't matter. And once you said that, I thought about Bob Fox. He didn't even fully understand how to take advantage of it. Yeah. He was just trying to serve his master, essentially. First of all, Kill, uh, like, thank you for, for, for having this conversation with us. And it's amazing, like, all the thoughts and things. Even after this conversation, I'm sitting there writing things down, how you could take this from a, a movie from, a, you know, almost 30 years ago at this point. And, um, More than 30 years. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think that everybody who listens to this podcast or, or watches this episode, go back and watch the movie and – Tell us what you take from this movie, because there's a lot of life lessons within this movie. It is a finance movie, but it's much more than that when you apply it to, um, you know, community building, our community, and what's going on in the world today. Um, and also, uh, Kill, when you get a chance, I want you to watch part two, because the, the way they tie it in, it'll start to make other things make more sense as well. I got I to gotta revisit that. I got to revisit I, 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 It was on cable one time, and I watched it like one time, but I definitely, I definitely want to revisit it. But how about yeah. this? I mean, let's... Uh, Let's tentatively say I'll, I'll come back for an episode about either part two or I, I really I want to dig into trading places. Trading, you know, trading this places. Is, maybe we do like maybe we do this once a month or we'll come on and just break down a movie, right? Because I, I think it's interesting because 
a lot of times, you know, between the drama and the laughs, um, you miss a lot of jewels that are dropped. And, and I, you know, you with the way you think as a professor, you always bring something new to the table. Um, and I thought this was an interesting conversation. And I hope that people could take something from this and, um, you know, uh, uh, and, and share this episode. Corey, you got any final thoughts, though? Yeah, man, just, you know, just let it be about us. Whatever whatever it is you're doing, if, you, if, if you're about us, let it be about us. No, I mean, don't let it just be about you. Let it be about us. Yeah, great point. Great point. My, my, my closing, if I, if I could, my closing point would be um, a quote we didn't get to really discuss, but Bud Fox's dad, when they had the argument, when he was like, you know, uh, uh, he turned down uh, Gecko's deal because he seen right through him. He was like, yo, he's, this, this guy's not cool. This guy's a rat. He was like, I'd rather deal with scum than deal with a rat. Um, he tells Bud, he says, you know, what you see – what you see is a man that never judged a man's success by the size of his wallet. Yeah, absolutely. His father said something. That's, that's something we got to. That's something we got to. We got to put teach the youth, and we got to be explicit with that because yeah. there's so much media and so much propaganda out there, um, even from our era, from our when we were youth, pushing this whole idea that that's how you measure success. Like you know, you got. Um, uh, basically, like basically, a lot of a whole generation of rappers now saying like, if you if you're not rich, don't talk to me. If you're not rich, I don't want to I'll shit from you. So that whole idea, like, so you're not successful unless you're unless you're wealthy. We can we can wrap. I mean, you gotta even, wrap the concept of time as the concept of of and into the concept of money because what happens is money people look at money as a means to an end, but they're they're looking at it as a means to the wrong end. It's a means to the end of creating more time whereas you know the rappers will tell you is a means to an end to, to flaunt and you know and do all of, you know whatever they do you know what i mean because i i listen to that kind of stuff and you know as a person who know what real money look like it don't bother me it don't have no it has zero effect on me i just like the way they put the words together and right. rhyme you know what i mean but right, you have yeah i have i have i have inside information i, I have the actual information so but see, but that's the difference. The, the difference is, um, you know, your worldview, right? So a lot of times when you talk to the youth and you recognize, like, I know people, like kids that we'll talk to that are from West Philly that have never left West Philly. They've went yeah, to school there, they've been shopping there, right? They, their girlfriend is from there. Their, their mother, father, grandparents are from there. They don't have a worldview. They don't see a world outside of a couple blocks so it's hard to tell them that not to be impressionable when they so that's the thing about exposure exposure is important too exactly it's like radiation the, the more you're exposed to it the sicker you get or if you want to take it on the other side the more you're exposed to it the the the, the better you get to, which, you know what which, I mean? which is why we like to highlight people that are doing things in the community and building businesses and that's why this podcast kill. was created yeah because you know you have a black mathematician here right uh, a lot of times people don't associate uh, brothers with being mathematicians, but yeah. you exist. We're talking that's, to that's, you. And that's <laughs> what I'm trying to, that's what I'm trying to do. Um, so overall, like, you know, and I got, I got to come back too cause I've made like, since the first time I came on here, I've made some progress with all this math in terms of just developing the vision in and of itself. And I'm really just, I'm really trying to like, just like shift the culture, just shift, mm -hmm. shift the culture around how, how black people view mathematics. Absolutely. I think because we're talking about we're talking about independent nation building, and because I'm I'm not trying to, and I mean I, I'll tell y'all this, and it's cool for you. You're listening. I don't I don't say this, you know, to a whole lot of people. Um, 
But the reality is, like, for me, it's all about Pan-Africanism. It's all about independent nation building. And I'm not really trying to, you know, help. help. Like, my, my end goal is not for black youth to get more STEM jobs working for white people. My, my, my goal is for us to build an independent nation build. But in order to independent nation build, you got to have math skills because we got to build shit. Yes, so we got to know how to calculate. And also, we got to have critical thinking skills. And I believe that the critical thinking skills go hand in hand because the same steps you have to go through to solve a, a mathematical word problem or to solve equations, that, that methodology, and it's like it's training your brain to think a certain way. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm, really, that's what I'm really pushing. Um, even though sometimes it's low key, that's what I'm pushing. But um, yeah, but, you're but right. Yeah, uh, math, skills, math skills are everything, man. Like even what we sure. do in ter- even what we do in terms of real estate and finance, it's, it comes down to math, man. Um, Chris Rock said, uh, you know, there's math and everything else is debatable, right? Yep. So, so I really believe that. But we'll, we'll definitely come back on, break down another movie, talk about what you got going on with all this math as you continue to build that out. Um, but I just want to thank you again for your time, for your analysis of this movie. Um, cause I, I hope that people take this and go watch the movie, but also watch other movies kind of with the same eye to see the yeah. parallels that are drawn between what's going on in the world. Like, you know, um, films to sometimes can be just like books, right? It's just, a, it's just a different medium. Um, but you can learn a lot from it as well. We might have to create another show just for that. Cause we still want to expose people, but we want to bring you on once a month. Just, just to talk, just to break down movie. That's that's a good idea. Once a month, we'll do a uh, we'll do like a second show once a month where we just break down a movie, all right, and, and, and how it applies to uh, every day. Like like I said, we have a list of movies that we started with our students: Wall Street, Wall Street Two, We Trading Places, um, Boiler Room, yeah, Arbitrage is one. Um, we we, we gotta get we got we gotta get a uh, betting on zero on there. Silicon Cowboy. Silicon Cowboys. We'll make we a whole get, kill. What we'll do is we'll, we'll create a whole list and we'll share it with you. And what we'll do is we'll do a once a month. We'll start to like drop these. We'll read this, bring you on, and we'll break down um you know how it relates to culture, class, and society. Like how these movies do that. A special. We'll have a special uh, episode every once in a while. We'll do that because there's a lot to talk about, and there's a lot yeah. of parallels to be drawn, and a lot of um you know uh, to help people think about movies a different way as they watch the content. Just don't sit around and just like you know watch it, but understand actually what's going on. So. We we um, can do these joints live too because we can because we can we can bring another you know we can get some other ideas because instead of taping it and bringing it to the world yeah yeah that's cool actually, all right matter of fact let's talk let's talk let's talk live. let's talk offline about that but kill I just want to say okay. thank you thank you for your time brother um we appreciate you know your your contribution um to the community to the, to yeah, the culture cause we, yeah because we we see what you're doing um and and you are very important like I said as someone out there pushing math um and critical thinking. Uh, you are appreciated, good brother, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely, you know, do some further work with you in the future to, uh, you know, kind of um, have these conversations, though. But, uh, Core, you know, we're getting ready to sign out. As we always say to our audience, it's not about how much money you make. It's about how much you keep. Game elevates, and we'll see you in the next episode. Peace. Peace.